I'm Kyle Meredith, and I host an interview series called Kyle Meredith With, where I talk to legendary musicians, up-and-coming artists, and whatever that is in between. I dive deep into the making of new albums, stories behind songs, but also things like how is Moby connected with the CIA, and did the Decemberists really thank Robert Mueller in their liner notes, and seeing which band I can get to reunite. Will it be Zeppelin, Genesis, Roxy Music, or Pavement? You've got to listen to find out. It's Kyle Meredith with from WFPK Independent Louisville and the Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. My name is Mel Castle, currently residing in Iowa City, but Chicago is where my heart is, um, and Maine is where my other heart is. And today we'll be traveling. Um, to- <laughs> You're a time lord. <laughs> Love it. Yes. We got two hearts. Um, don't interrupt me. I'm hosting. <laughs> And far away from me, but still present and living, beating against the walls of my heart, trapped forever, um, are these two lovely lads in Chicago. Who are they? This is Mackenzie Bump Gerber, and uh, I'm, I'm here to speak on behalf of all uh, cats who've been wronged in their lives, their nine lives. Oh, well, if you're going to take Bump, then I'm going to take Michael... Shooter Rothman, a <laughs> lame, easiest You've one ever. You've given up on alliteration entirely. <laughs> I have. <laughs> just I aren't have. clever anymore. <laughs> well, I originally was going to go with Michael Herb Rothman. Uh, it makes even <laughs> less sense, but uh, okay. Uh, Editor-in-chief and uh, co-founder of Consequences Sound and very excited to talk about this uh, novella, short story. What do we want to call it? Let's it's call it the short novella. story. Is it? I think I think it's a novella. It's I mean, novella. we have to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't even do one. I'll just go with Mel Mort Castle. That's fine. That's a good one. Um, yeah. Yeah. And today, in case you haven't figured it out, which I mean, we laid so many clues. It's yeah. oh, much like the just like the novella. It's like the novella. Yeah. Yeah. This the novella. Um, the second uh, entry in Four Past Midnight, which is Secret Window, Secret Garden. Um. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that today. <laughs> um, it's going to go great. Uh, let's talk about our first time we were ever exposed to this story. I I can go first. Okay. Um, I, you know, this may surprise you guys. I was really into the movie in 2004 oh my Lord. when it came out, the, ad- the adaptation. Um, and watching it for this episode brought back a lot of nostalgia for me. My friends and I were big into Johnny Depp in 2004. Um, let's see, if I was born in 1989, I would have been... Where's Justin when you need him? You would have been 20. Yeah, 20. Okay, that's a little embarrassing. I guess I was really into Johnny Depp when I was 20. Um, I would not have been 20. You're totally wrong. Yeah. We'll figure so this out. 84 to 2004? Yeah. No, 89. 89 to 2004. Oh, 89 to 2004. Hmm. So, so I was, you would have been 15. Yeah, that's so much better. Yeah, okay. I was really into Johnny Depp when I was 15. <laughs> um, and I loved the movie a lot. I saw it multiple times in theaters and never read the story until 
a couple days ago so you when you, i read it you, you saw this multiple times in theaters you said i did wow. i saw it multiple times in you theaters. saw it multiple times <laughs> in theaters I'm going to say at least three times. Oh, my God. Now, wait. Now, did, now we discussed this the other day. Didn't Pirates come out around the same time? It was a few. It was actually the year before. I was wrong when I was talking about because Pirates of the Caribbean came out in 2003. I forgot this came out in 2004. So he was already having like a, a sort of mainstream depissance. So I get, I get like people fawning over him in Pirates. You know, like I enjoyed that movie. I enjoyed his performance in that film. And that was like the depissance. Yeah. But man, if I had watched Secret Window the next year, I would have just been like totally out on him. Here's what's crazy. So <laughs> they came out and we're obviously we'll talk about this in the, the, the film section, but the, it came out in March of 2004, which means it was like weeks after his nomination or his loss because he was nominated for Pirates yeah, of the Caribbean. Right, right. So this is like the immediate follow up. This is like, you know, with uh, Hal but Berry I, I, with Catwoman. <laughs> I think it was highly calculated, though. Like, we, it was the Depassants, and then they were like, but what if we made him kind of scraggly, gave him this terrible dye job, and had him in a robe for the whole film? Would you still do it? And America said, I guess. Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't received that no, well. We'll no. get to that later mixed, on. Mixed reviews. But... <laughs> okay, but how did how did you guys first come to know um, Secret Window, Secret Garden, uh, Mike or Mac? I, oh. I mean, I was the same way. I only knew from this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I had not seen it until uh, much, much uh, later after its release. Because I, I, I remember it came out around spring break of my first year of college. And I was at home in Fort Lauderdale and Miami and with my girlfriend. And we were so bored that night. Like, I mean, so bored. And because none of us were, you know, 21 yet, so we couldn't really go, you know, drink and stuff. And so we were just kind of wandering around, figuring out what to do. And there was just no movies coming out because at that point, March was kind of a dead zone for for films. Oh, and I remember a, a dead zone? A dead King's zone. Dominion. No pun intended. <laughs> um, Stupid. <laughs> and so I remember seeing this poster and then seeing it in the newspaper, you know, like as a listing, being like, oh, wow, we can go see this movie. It's got Isn't Johnny the Depp. poster just his face? It is. It's the just most his face. boring poster ever. <laughs> Welcome to um, the early 2000s. Those posters suck. And <laughs> so we were... You know, we had nothing to do. We had a movie that was Stephen King stamped and also Johnny Depp in it. And we, I think we went to the beach and like walked around or something like that. We just, I was like, I just could not handle it. So I honestly didn't see it until much later when it was already on like HBO or something. Um, And I just remember being like, oh God, this ending sucks. So going into this book, I was just, I mean, because the book has shared so many similarities with the movie, I was anticipating the ending and being the same thing and being like, oh, this move, this book, I can't handle this. Obviously, we'll discuss some differences there. What about you, Mac? Uh, Yeah, my first experience was seeing the trailer for the film. uh, I don't know, most likely in theaters. And it was one of those moments where you're watching it and you just think, I, it's showing me the entire movie. I know the twist. This is lame as hell. And I thought John Turturro is like, I like, look, I love John Turturro, but he's like not scary at all. He is doing his level best. We will talk about him. Yeah. 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 But it is like that character, even in the story, it's like the most caricature ridiculousness. I don't know. I was, I was not interested in seeing it at all. And, you know, I liked Johnny Depp at the time, you know, I was, I was into, I was into Depp. But I was not into this movie. I thought he looked ridiculous. I I was a Depp head at the time, probably. Uh, But, man, I just was not interested. And then I found out that it was a Stephen King story. And then I I think my interest was a little bit more piqued. But when I said, well, is the movie this? Is this what happens in the movie? And whoever I was talking to is like, yeah, well, yeah, 
That's that's a twist. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, you could tell that from the fucking trailer. Exactly. Uh so ultimately, um, that was my first experience with the with the film, but I didn't watch the film until yesterday on HBO, and I hadn't read the the short story at all. So I haven't read any of the other short stories yet in this in this book. This is my first outing with it. Um and I, I gotta say I uh, wasn't wasn't too thrilled with this story, uh, so I can't wait to talk about it. But yeah. uh, I will say that um, it, it has a couple of things in there. There's a couple of things that piqued my interest, and I, there I, are I read a couple the, things in the story. Yes, yes, there are a couple <laughs> things in this uh, novella. I read the what is this? The Guild, but it was like a UK pressing of the book because I thought, oh, maybe maybe they'll something else maybe this will bring something else to it, but um when was it published? It really Matt? didn't. When was it published? It was published in in 1990. So screw you. I didn't plagiarize. <laughs> no, it was 1990. All right. That's good. I, I have the 1990 Signet edition graciously lent to me by the Iowa City Public Library. Shout out to the Iowa City Public Library. You can rent art from them and hang it in your home. Ooh. Um, but in this case I didn't rent art. <laughs> I rented <laughs> four past midnight and <laughs> it's a paperback it's got like a clock fading into a back cloudy background on it it's really thick it's got little illustrations before each novella in this case it's a house on fire hmm. I, I gotta say my cover which I, I didn't bring the actual um the book cover here but it has there's a little picture on the guild publishing page of a clock and a demon kind of sitting on top of it reaching down um that sounds pretty spooky, and it man. Is, it, it, and it is four past midnight on the clock. The, the attention to detail oh, is really for, good. For <laughs> yeah. there. But the, the, it's really cartoony, and I'll try to take a picture of it and post it. But <laughs> the cover no, is really like, this is clearly a UK pressing. No offense to our fans in the UK. Mm. Well, you've prompted me to notice that in the cover of mine, it is 1215. <laughs> <laughs> so they really screwed up there. So I think they they read it as a fourth past midnight. Uh, oh. Maybe, maybe. Mine is actually um, it's the 2016 first Scribner paperback edition. So it's uh, got this. Really I really cool, like those editions. They're nice, and this has got like a, a nice Miami Vice teal blue uh, sort of thing mm. going on. A lot of birds that are forming a circle. Uh, and that mm. would be a clock, and it is four past midnight on mine. So they did get it right. Thank God for the Scribner to know the the you know the essence of time. So I, uh, it's a tome though. And I, a, a tome, Tommy, tome. Yeah. Tome. Tome. So I've been carrying it around uh, for the past few weeks and it has just been a struggle because I don't want to like bring it out. It's not one of those type of books where you could just like pull it out on a train because it's so huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been kind of a pain. I actually been carrying it around for three weeks to no avail because I didn't really start reading it heavily until like a few days ago. So, uh, you know, I lived with it. Yeah, well, you let it, you absorbed its energy for a I while, did, and then and then you were ready. Let's talk a little bit about the history of this story. Ah, yes. Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, you can. I can change it. You can change it exactly. There's not a ton here. It's not one of those that it, I feel like he dwelled on forever. <laughs> and, no? <laughs> uh, he has a little intro. Do your books have the little intros um, before does. every... Okay, okay. Yeah. So he talks about kind of trying to write a story about how fiction can overcome its author. He wanted to write about um, the relationship between the writing and the writer, um, but from the side of the um, writing kind of overwhelming or affecting or... Um, 
warping the reality of the writer. And he says he's tried the same thing um, from the other perspective on how writing affects the reader uh, prominently in Misery. And he's certainly written about writers before. I think it's funny that in this introduction he says, this is the last one I'm yeah. going to do about a writer <laughs> and the tortures of writing. Like, sure, dude. Um, that was that was interesting to me. And, and obviously one of my favorite parts of this podcast is always just trying to get inside King's brain. Um, so if he ever feels an itch while we're recording this, it's probably because I'm just right there trying to get in. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I thought it was interesting that like so much of this story itself is redundant to, you know, say the dark half and a lot mm-hmm. of the themes that he was discussing as a writer with like Paul Sheldon. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think about like the more personal takes that he has had in his, you know, his more recent writings that we've covered in this podcast, they all deal with like this sort of, um, guilt of, um, you know, feeling as if you're kind of like a, a fraud or like, you know, you've, you've done, you know, you've kind of just been, uh, you know, he's going to be defrauded, which is obviously, which is definitely like a fear of any writer, I think. Um, but what I thought was interesting is that like this one particularly deals with like the guilt of plagiarizing and, mm-hmm. you know, which is just copying in a sense. And that's something that, He's discussed in Misery. It's something that he's discussed um, in The Dark Half. He's discussed in, obviously, this book and a few other books in the, in, the, in the past as well. But it's interesting that ever since we did It, which he declared was kind of his like last horror book, you know, like this is his magnum opus for it's horror. It's the end of the cycle. Yeah, it's like the end of that. And then now he's saying, like, this is the end of the writer book. And then later this year, we're going to be talking about Needful Things. That's the last <laughs> Castle Rock book. And I wonder, like... Was he having like an existential crisis at this moment in his career? I think that he found that when you say this is the last of something, book sales go up. Mm. I mean, you Smart. know, it, it, it's it's like uh, it's like Kiss and <laughs> going on a farewell tour every year. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people are gonna go see it. You know, they think that's it, and then it's not. Um, yeah, I I think it's interesting that he wrote this in between drafts for the dark half. Yeah, and I just thought. Man, if you're writing the dark half, which is essentially very close to this story in terms of like, you know, your pen name becoming real. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're taking a break from the dark half, don't you write something completely different? Yeah. Not the same, basically the same story, I mean, he, just he kind of not as good. <laughs> like, I don't, it's just he acknowledges weird. these similarities without explaining away the question that you're posing. He's yeah. kind of like, I wanted to do it again. <laughs> Yeah, he was like, I want um, to do it but from from kind of this angle. And I was like, from from what? I mean, I, I, it is a different angle, but I, I don't know. It's well, the thing that's interesting, kind of, the thing that really cr- creeps me out about this story, even beyond that, the actual story, is just how autobiographical a lot of the elements are, you know, with regards yeah. to the way he has to contend with the smoking. And that comes from a very personal place. Yeah. And granted, he hasn't been doing, he didn't get divorced. But there, I have to imagine that maybe that he's coming out of the 80s in which he was just at his height and his zenith, like where he was just basically like pumping out story after story, working on adaptation after adaptation. And I wonder if that did have some sort of stress on, you know, his relationship. And maybe that's where he was coming out from a place from there. Because, I mean, obviously, as we will be discussing, Mort has a relationship with his writing that supersedes anything with Amy and his own character. So I wonder if that came out of his own guilt from that. Maybe. Are you saying that maybe he also plagiarized? No, no. But I think he's been dogged by accusations of plagiarism his whole career. And my cursory research has revealed that, in fact, one time someone broke into his house to accuse him of plagiarism. Um, and Tabby found him and he was like, my aunt wrote 
the real plot to misery and, and your husband plagiarized it and I have a bomb and he didn't really have a bomb. It was a fake bomb. But like when people are doing that shit, of course you're thinking about it all the time when you yeah. get that big. And, and I love, there's a passage that I, I think strikes me as one of the only worthy parts of this story where he talks about, it can always feel a little bit like stealing when you mm-hmm. don't know when the ideas come, where the ideas come from. They come from this big nebulous vat of ideas and, that's what it feels like to well, pull. I, I know I can speak to that because yeah. I I I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, but this is a little tangent. But but Go when I was growing up, you know, these movies were on all the time, you know, on TV. And I and especially the motion picture, the first film, I'm not a really big fan mm-hmm. of at all. But years, years, years later, I was writing Justin and I were writing a season of Doctor Who, because we love Doctor Who, and and um we came up with this new doctor and we came, I came up with this great story. And it was all about like how the, the the doctor and his new companion are being attacked by these entities that start appearing in the TARDIS, and which is like their spaceship. If you don't know Doctor Who, <laughs> and um, it's slowly revealed that they're actually projections from an alien spacecraft that has found Voyager One. Oh wow! And found the <laughs> and found the record, the golden record. Yeah. And misinterpret it because it's been damaged by space debris and they're just projecting these weird half versions of what's on the golden record to try to communicate. And then I watched Star Trek, the motion picture, and the main villain is like this weird version of Voyager 1 that's come back and it's called V'ger. And like it's like this distorted version of like it doesn't understand because it's not, you know, it's been so far removed from. And I just thought... How, did I see this when I was like eight and it just somehow stuck in the back of my mind? I thought yeah. I was coming up with such an original idea. Yeah. And it's, it is very different, but it's the same thing. Like when you, when you start coming up with something good and you're like, where is this coming from? I can see you start to doubt yourself and think yeah. maybe this is, maybe this is something I've seen or, mm-hmm. or somehow, uh, you know, absorbed over time yeah. and just them thinking it's my own. Totally. You know? I, I straight up plagiarized King once when I wrote a story about a drug where if you were on the drug, you could see things, you could see like monsters that other people couldn't see. And doesn't he have a story where if you're quitting smoking and you have yes. a certain amount of nicotine in your body, you can see these, these other creatures, uh, I definitely buried in my subconscious mm. and I brought it out and thankfully never did anything with that story once I realized what I was doing. But it is, it's a fear that, that really plagues people and people here certainly in the program talk about it all the time, but I can imagine being that big of a writer you wouldn't be able to know at some point, like who is talking about a connection that is arbitrary and coincidental. Um, because like, Oh sure. You could see a connection there. It's just not plagiarism. Um, same thing with stand up comedy it happens all the time. Right. Oh, totally. Like, and it's, it's a really scary thing I think for, for a writer. Well, you uh, think about the time too. So it's like the nineties and you know, where, what resources can you really have? I mean, like nowadays you can like hop on YouTube or search the internet for a lot of things, but now it's sure. like all it is is just what you've known and what you can remember. And we've talked, you know, you've already hinted at the idea of the subconscious. And I think, I mean, that's what this whole story for, for the most part it really is about. It's just how much you're willing to lock away and how much can you really run away from. And with this, I get that King maybe was contending with that side of stuff. And maybe that's something that he wasn't able to fully accomplish with the dark half. And he felt the need to sort of make this, I don't know, tangential story that is still dealing with these type of things. Because if there's one thing that 
I will give credit to to him is that he doesn't he isn't so much of a redundant writer. You know, I, I don't think that I think that, you know, he he's kind of Spielbergian in a way where he really does love to have that MacGuffin. He loves to have that sort of thing that is that separates it from a lot of the other things that he's been doing. So with the exception of the times where he really feels like he needs to say something. And I think that the message or whatever thoughts he was getting out of this, I, I, I again, this is all just me like assuming all this stuff, but I got the feeling that he was wrestling with some demons that he was able to kind of purge by telling the story. Um, and maybe that's one of the reasons why he wanted to put out there. Um, I didn't realize how intimate it was and how personal it was until I really kind of started just um, similar to Mort at the end of the story, but I'm putting it together myself. Oh, were you, oh. You, were talking, you were talking to yourself, many <laughs> versions of yourself? Well, I was, and I was also wearing a hat. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Samantha walked in the room and was just like, what are you doing? I was like, you better, you better get out of here. I, I like to, yeah, I like oh, to you were think like, that. You better get out of here. You better get out of here, Pilgrim. <laughs> I like to think that he was like, oh, this story is kind of similar to a lot of other things that I've written or things in the past. My, maybe I'll make the villain like an Amish Mississippian. <laughs> like, <laughs> no one's written that before. I think, I think <laughs> you're right, Mike. true. Yeah. <laughs> he tries to do that, but he's at his most redundant when talking about writers and writing because it's his chief concern and mm-hmm. probably like a, a thing that just, that again, just plagues him all the time. He's very interested in ideas and how they don't come from anywhere buried concretely within one person. That's like a, that's a very... Um, consistent theme across his works, I think. It's it's an inexhaustible run, right? So it doesn't annoy that many people. Yeah. Um, his self-inserts might annoy some people. Which is wild because he's still 10 years removed from on writing a memoir of the craft. Mm-hmm. You know? It sounds like, I mean, we were in history and then it sounded like you were talking about what intrigued you about this book. Maybe the themes that hooked you. Um, so maybe we should talk about the hook a little bit more. Well... I mean, guilt, <laughs> grief, Re- the paranoia that comes from within. Yeah, I mean, I'll quote, I'll quote uh, Sting, Stuart Copeland, and Annie Summers. And what band is that, Mac? Oh, the police. The truth hits everybody. Um, and I think that's kind of uh, the big message here is that you can't run from the truth. The truth is out there, and it will uh, come back to haunt you in mm-hmm. ways that uh, are unexpected. Um, so... That's what I got out of it. <laughs> repression. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say repression's big. Like, I mean, there's so much stuff that comes to the surface during this story. And you're like, wow, you really just totally shut yourself off from these things that have absolutely happened and had big impacts on you. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, how do you not remember these things? But, you know, that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's such an interesting, I mean, I'm sort of dipping into structure and format here, but the novella is an interesting choice for a book that... Um, spoiler alert is about a writer's inability to differentiate reality from unreality. And he creates a personality that's actually just part of himself, but he thinks it's a different person like that. That requires so much hinting and buildup that I'm, I'm not sure it works in this, in this shorter form, this like idea of repressing all this stuff, um, that we don't even get a glimpse into, right? Like we don't, we don't see that many hints laid cause there's just not enough time. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. I, I don't think I don't think it does work. I think one of the major failings of the book, um, not to jump into misery, but uh, <laughs> is that uh, I, I, the, just the creation of John Shooter is not earned because it's it's just all in his head. It's not like he's writing a story currently about John Shooter and then he comes to life. So you're like he brings his character to life, but it's not actually a character he's ever written before. No. So it's like very strange I, I don't know. It, again, I think this would have 
been better served as a as a full on novel. There could have been like dark half too. I d- although although yeah, we hesitate it would just to be say the dark that, half. right? Like- yeah, it would just be the dark half. Well, no, I mean it wouldn't be the dark half in the sense that the twist is obviously you know very different from the dark half. It is, yeah. And but I don't know if it would have worked. Yeah, I, I don't want to get into too much because I, I really want to shake this down as <laughs> well. What you're saying about the you know how it's earned with shooter. I think this, you know, I, you know, because he had never written a story, I think the idea is that his life experiences created this, this, this demon, this, this, this evil, so to speak, that in the same way that we would, you know, any writer would actually create characters on the page, you know, like they all come, we all, I look at writing as like, you know, if you, um, take your pointer finger and just like slide it across, you know, a desk that's been old and you're going to collect all that dust. Like that is like writing for me. It's like, you're just going to be taking everything that you've learned or that you've experienced up to a point and assemble it in some sort of ways. I mean, you could use that in any pop culture. I mean, like for Christ's sake, like even something like star Wars, it's so big. Like the, the, the Wookiee came from <laughs> George Lucas's dog. So, I mean, it's all just like, it, it's all life experience in the way. And I, so I, I want, I think that's, I guess the the argument that Sting, that King would make which is like, well, Shooter is he did create Shooter in the same way that he would have created any other of his characters. Um, so I I don't know I, I guess in that respect, but I, but to be honest, I don't know if I could have handled like a hundred more. Pages well, that's what I'm saying book. too. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm I'm intrigued by a structure where I like where the book starts. Like I don't want it to start earlier, like with his actual act of plagiarism no. back in undergrad or whatever. Right. And I, I like that we learn about that later, but we learn about it so late that it's not actually satisfying as a turn. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. Well, it's also not satisfying. Like, so if you look at the hook of it, it's like, oh, this is the one where the writer's um, being haunted by himself. But like we literally two books ago, we just talked about the same exact thing. So to, to your point, like, yeah, it's, it's that redundancy alone is ridiculous, but it is the twist at the end of this book that, gives it some sort of like oomph that gives it some sort of edge that, you know, dark half honestly didn't really have compared to that. It's just the problem is it's like this chicken and egg thing. It's like, you can't have that twist without having everything that, that came before. Um, but whatever came before doesn't really mean much unless you get to that twist. So it's like, do I think that it's earned that you can get to, when you get to that twist, you're like, Oh yeah, this is worth the journey. Not really. But it's still like I wish that he could have found a way to like marry those ideas a little bit more to make that sure. journey more exciting to get to the twist because the twist is pretty revelatory and fun. Like I like it because he does like this downward spiral of twists. Like once you have one revelation that leads to another revelation that's connected. So it's very well thought out in terms of like a da- downward spiral. But well, like, in, in that sense, I feel like he it's it's as if he, he definitely came up at the end yes. and was like, I've got to write this story yeah. because this is a cool twist, and yeah. it just just kind of failed. To yeah. come well, do you think? I thought, and this is definitely informed by my having seen the movie, but while reading it, I felt like I could have anticipated the twist like a third of the way, if not before, through the novella. That is literally something I was contending with while reading it, like over the last few days. I was like, would have I known like that it was obviously him had I not seen the movie? And I think I would, because like, honestly, within like the first 20 pages, you get hinted at. Yes. The movie does a better job with that, I think. Yeah, I think that if you have seen or read stories before ever (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that people are pretty smart. And I feel like reading this, I mean, 
And maybe it's because we know Stephen King at this point. We've 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 read him, so you're just you're looking for some kind of twist. You're looking deeper into things. You're not just reading it on a surface level. If you're reading on a surface level, maybe you maybe you don't see that coming. Maybe because all of a sudden at the end things just like escalate a thousand percent, and you're like, wait, he's he's been living in this house, but he hasn't seen any of him. Self having written shooter all over the walls. It's mm-hmm. just like very bizarre. Well, think but, of it as a subversion to your notions that you would have after the dark half where everyone sees George Stark, you know? Well, that, and that's the thing too, is like, I guess if you're thinking, oh, this is like George, this is another dark half story coming right after the dark half. <laughs> yeah. You probably, I think even then you're still thinking there's a different twist here because why would you put this book out, mm-hmm. this story out right after the dark yeah. half? I haven't read the dark half, so I'm coming from a different place, but oh, okay, okay. maybe that's useful. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah. Well, it's also just, I think we've been, I mean, I got to go back and look at all the tropes of different decades, but I feel like this trope specifically was in our generation in our wheelhouse was just this idea of the, you know, the psychosis taking over. I mean, like think about every fucking thriller from like 1997 to like 2007 to 2010 all has that sort of variation of the twist of like, Oh, it was this person all along, you know, and a lot, you know, you could blame M night Shyamalan because of the, the sixth sense. Uh, you can go into half a dozen thrillers. This is one of them for sure. Uh, you know, identity is another one. With yeah, a real identity. Twist. There's a there's a lot of film, and then also any like young adult television yeah. show always yeah. had an episode like this mm-hmm. or a season where you find out the killer. You find out like halfway through the season or or more that the killer is actually like the one that's been helping them all along. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, or, yeah. or, or is the person or, you know, I don't know. It's just, but in 1990, if you hadn't read the dark half, you might've been a little intrigued, but that's the thing. It's yeah, like, I'm no, trying to think of like any other stories that really had done that or movies, at least in pop culture that really had done it up until what the late nineties. Uh, but I don't know. But then here's another but, question. Does this, cause this is psycho, what I was trying to do. Psycho? Is it, psycho, I guess is one. Yeah. That means Even the ending is very much like psycho. It is. It is very much like psycho. <laughs> you mentioned that earlier. Um, but here's a question I have and that it, this is what I was trying to keep in mind while I was reading is King just trying to be as blatant as possible about this. And it could it be better. I, I feel like, yeah, it's, it is so blatant that I wonder if it's purposeful. Like when the coincidences show up, when he hears someone say Pilgrim, he's like, wait, John Shooter says Pilgrim, what's going on? And that's just like so antithetical to keeping the reader in the dark until the very end when you make the connections on your own that I do wonder maybe he, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's also the, the idea where the structure doesn't work for me in the sense that he is the narrator. He, you know, he is the most unreliable narrator because the entire time he's the one that's actually doing these things. So it doesn't feel like a cool twist at the end or like, Oh yeah. You, because you're constantly being fed the wrong information. So it's like, it's not a satisfying twist for me because you've purposely been fooled. It's like, there's an episode of Sherlock where they do that. Um, it's the I don't want to get into that because that's that that show just kind of got not great as it went along, unfortunately. But I think it's like the last, one of the last seasons. There's this whole episode where like Sherlock's trying to figure out this mystery, and then at the end they're like, "Oh well, this is actually what happened, but we didn't show you these things." Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, the whole point of of watching this is so that we can try to figure out the mystery as well. But Sherlock's one step ahead, and so if you're just constantly misleading the audience, so that, but I, I think it's misdone here because. He, 
he blatantly he makes it really blatant that it's probably him. <laughs> I don't know. Well, so it's let's, really let's strange. Talk about, yeah. Let's talk about how we get there. Like, what are the actual? Let's talk about structure and format. Love that uh, Kurt Barlow. Uh, is it Barlow that, that that says that in the, that sound effect? I think it is. But. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how I, I landed on that soundbite for structure and format. But, I don't you know, know either. Whatever. You know, I was editing. They, they was, all fit in <laughs> retrospect. Yeah. I was editing the Langoliers episode the other day, and I and, and I was I really listening to those for, yeah. since I I haven't listened to them in a while. And I just thought. Why is this one even in here? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why, why are you picking these for these? I couldn't. I, I think it was supposed to be because, yes, teacher, show me or something like that. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like in my head oh, when I'm man. like trying like, to find a sound We're really effect. reaching here it for is, some of these, is. but I love it. I love the history oh, of the hook one, though. It makes perfect sense so. if you just believe. Yeah. Um, I feel like when we're talking about any kind of twist, like structure and format, the technicalities of it have to come into play. But if we're just talking about how the novella is structured, it's got weird, it's got weird chapter divisions. Yeah, um, it does. It's kind of like a couple paragraphs. Sometimes they're really short. Sometimes they're longer. They, they seem a little arbitrary to me sometimes when a number will just disrupt the text. Yeah. Um, and it's split into, let's see how many of them are there. 50. Exactly 50. Okay. Interesting. So that seems like a nice round number. Um, So this, uh, sorry to cut you off. This felt like, um, the structure to me really, it really felt like a Bachman book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even down to these chapters, these chapters are, the way that this is done is very much like the long walk, very much like running man. It felt to me like, I, I don't know. Well, they also kind of separates things with dreams a little bit, but they're not like, the most compelling dreams they are kind of just very, um, oh, hate those dreams. Yeah. Right. They're, they're just very like, uh, obvious, <laughs> you didn't, know, Mel, didn't this feel like road work <laughs> in the sense that like, it's a man alone feeling sorry for himself. <laughs> like we're supposed to care a, about this protagonist. <laughs> well, I, but see, I was going to say that is something I admire about King that like, I mean, this wasn't, this wasn't as boring as roadwork. Like I, I turned the pages of this relatively quickly, mm-hmm. despite the fact yeah, that it's yeah. kind of just like a man napping and not napping <laughs> it really um, is. on and off. Um, I found it, I found it pretty interesting by the time I got, you know, past shooters initial appearance. So I, I that's something I was, I was, uh, impressed with like the, the smallness of the setting and the, the narrow window, sorry, the narrow aperture of <laughs> yeah. the, through which we see, this one, this one guy who's a bit of a sad sack. So I think it succeeds where roadwork fails in that sense. Okay. Well, here's a question. Do we feel the epilogue is a total cop out? <laughs> I, you mean, so, so you mean the fact that like this ends up being a supernatural book all along? Well, see, I, I actually like that, but the, I, mean, I just meant like, okay, so you, cause usually the, the, the sort of situation that you can kind of paint yourself into or the, the conundrum that a writer can paint themselves into with, when you're doing this sort of like split personality thing is that like, well, if one per one of them dies, well, and it's first person, well, there goes your story. Gonna tell the, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So like, it felt as if like, you know, obviously when it does these type of split things, like you always wonder like, are they really going to kill this for this person? Cause like the story has to be told somehow. Um, so that, so when it, you know, it's revealed that Mort is killed, um, by what Fred Evans, it, 
all of a sudden it goes in this epilogue and yeah, you're right, Mac. It is totally psycho at the end. Like it's just like that, that whole doctor talking and explaining everything that happened. And it just made me want, like wonder, like, is this like, as much as I like some of the revelations in there, especially the ghostly stuff, it kind of is a cop out though. Right. Or not a cop out, but well, like a lazy. It's the perspective is, is close third, but we get into Amy's mindset actually before the epilogue even. So mm-hmm. I could feel it gearing up to do that switch, which is an interesting, it's an interesting structural, an interesting structural choice that makes it seem rather inconsistent because we never get anything from the minds of the other characters throughout the entire rest of the story. And I definitely felt as I was nearing the epilogue, I was like, this is going to be like Gerald's game. This is going to be this like really disappointing movie style epilogue where everything is kind of like wrapped up and explained um, in the same way the movie did it. And it sort of was. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you look back and at the little nitty gritty details, I wonder if you could make the argument that's like lazy arm's length third person omniscient. <laughs> yeah. Like I just don't feel like going into anyone else's business until the very end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but in that respect, I, I guess, you know, doing the dream and then having the wake up of the revelations that of ha- stuff that happened it just it's so formulaic now with this type of narrative that like, of co- I mean, like we've seen it in Fight Club, like, you know, we've seen it. I mean, obviously, we just named out a, a, t- a bunch of different titles that do this type of style. Mr. But Robot. We know. Yeah, exactly. And Mr. Robot, we know to look out for the indicators of this type of stuff. So when he's constantly sleeping and things are happening, like the burned down house and he, or the people he died, wakes up and feels sore. Yeah. Like, it's so, so that, fucking obvious. I think <laughs> that is. I think it's unfortunate. Like like Mel was saying earlier, though, in 1990, mm-hmm. we've we've lived uh, we've lived our lives. <laughs> we've read these stories. We've seen go. this done a billion times. <laughs> but had this been the first thing I read, maybe I wouldn't have seen those indicators, and maybe it would have all come together for me at the end. Like, oh yeah, you know, like every time he talks to shooter, he's just like waking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and or he's like half asleep or, you know, like maybe maybe that's would have felt more original and maybe we're just kind of giving it a little bit too much guff for um, people having done this, you know, multiple times since then. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like watching any. Well, and also we'd seen the movie. So, I mean, if you're a reader and this was your first ever exposure to anything about Secret Window, Secret yeah, Garden, I'd be, anything, though. I'd be really <laughs> interested to hear if this was a surprising twist for you and you'd never seen any movies in 1992, 2007, roughly. There's gotta be a fan of the pod out there. That's never seen the movie and never read a story. And this is their first. Yeah. We're in 2019. So if you're 12 years old and you're a listener, how did well, you, were you surprised? I think the problem is that like Mort is such an unreliable narrator from the get go. I mean, he he basically admits a few pages into this story that he's like suffering from, you know, some sort of grief, um, that he's had a weird, unstable past. Like it's not, you know, as laid out as it's going to be later on down the the book, but it's there. And if you look for it and you, you know, you read between the lines, I feel like it's just 
you, maybe King was supposed to from the beginning. I'd love to know. I'd love to you know, waste one of my 20 questions to ask him if we ever get an interview. Know, yeah. Oh, when you wrote Secret Window, um, were you, in, you know, were you intentionally <laughs> trying to suggest that he's uh, of two minds here? Like, but Mostly I want to talk about Secret Window, Secret Garden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we love the Institute, but let me tell you, um, let's go back to 1990. But you're right, Mike. I mean, right. F- there's so many sequences, even early, early on when he starts going, well, did I steal this story? He starts questioning himself so early that you really do make, he, he becomes a suspect so early that when things start unfolding, you're like, Oh yeah, it's obviously him. I mean, this in is some on, way, shape or form. This you know is the I mean? fourth page. During that time, he had been doing well, if you remember, to change his underwear, let alone handle more esoteric things like optometrist appointments. Like already within that one line, you're getting the sense like, okay, he's clearly not, in some frame of mind that's normal, you know, like he's, he's a recluse living out in the middle of nowhere, depressed and distraught. Like he owns a cat too. And he so. owns a cat too. That's pretty, that's dangerous. <laughs> um, Do you remember when the first ever mention of like, Oh, he actually has done this before. Cause I do feel like it comes way too late. The concrete, claim that like yes i plagiarized before before then it's all just like oh i feel vaguely guilty because i've been accused not because this has ever happened before right yeah, it's 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 pretty far into it it's, it's about 135 it. pages into the, <laughs> yeah. the, the story because that's when you find out about the delacorte yeah uh, and he's like situation. how could i forget about uh the the joker that's whose story he stole from oh kentner yeah. kentner and you're like yeah how could you forget that and if you're forgetting huge huge things like that that like you know that that's a huge thing to to forget, especially when you're currently being <laughs> accused of plagiarism. You're just thinking, yeah, okay. Then maybe you forgot about how you killed those two guys earlier. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? Like, well, that's yeah. and that's kind of to King's credit. He does lay out that that path for us. You know, for him to be unreliable to leave out those details. Yeah, but at yeah. the same time, it's very convenient. <laughs> I think I would have liked them to toe the line a little more where you really aren't sure if it's real or not. And then, and even if it ended with him being, you know, the way that it does with him being, you know, like this dual personality kind of thing. And and he is the killer that that twist at the end would have worked even better because right when you think you're finally satisfied, you're like, okay, John Shooter doesn't exist. They kind of throw that little twist in at the end and you're like, Ooh, well, Amy is but, the one that yeah. acknowledges it, too. So you'd think that Amy would have brought that up a little earlier on, although she was kind of being kept in the shadows about what actually ex- yeah, she's exactly happened also. So. Same thing in the movie. She's yeah. the first one who acknowledges the plagiarism? Yeah, because on page 435, she says, um, you know, because they talk about the nervous breakdown. And, you know, on page 435, you know, she says, Mort, I've been so worried about you. And he's like, me, I'm okay. Are you sure? When I saw you yesterday, I thought you looked strained. In fact, I thought you looked like you did before you had the, you know, Amy, I did not have a nervous breakdown. Well, no, but you know what I mean? When the pe- when the movie people were being so awful about the Delacorte family. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you yeah. find out about. So she knows about the plagiarism She's aware in the past that. So that, that dealt with. You know that struggled with his movie career. Right. Granted, but the, no, but the Delacorte wasn't a plagiarism, right? No, like, but that it was the first instance that sparked it for him. Where he, it, it was right, like the right. the first instance that that kind of sparked the Kittner um, past. So he, you know, he's tying it to, and he had a nervous breakdown then. Um, so it's like Amy's aware that he's struggled with that demons, those demons. But the, I guess the problem is that she doesn't really know specifically 
yeah the you know the details of yeah. what's going on currently with shooter but and it, i mean just before we move on to our characters like i i want to harp the novella the novella choice do we really think this would be better as a novel or do we just think he didn't pull off the novella I think he didn't pull off the novella. I, I I think if you make this a novel, maybe it's more fleshed out or interesting. Or but we're all sitting here thinking like, oh god, I would I would not read it. Want to read a novel of this? No, I I, have I a, don't know. I have a section of this book that perfectly summarizes my reading experience for about ninety percent <laughs> of this uh, of this story. Uh, so I would say honestly, this might have even worked better as a short story. If you oh, I'd be so interested in how you could do that, though. It would have to be a pretty long short story. It would. It would be like a 50-page short story that you could really kind of just get into the nitty-gritty of things and not have any fat. Just get, you know, just have to be very terse. I don't think it would be very satisfying. It. it would be like, the, yeah. I think if it was a short story, I'd be like, I want more. Mm-hmm. And then we get more with this, but it's still not enough. Yeah. But if you make it a novel, it's just the crux is just not interesting enough. Is it an impossible book? <laughs> It's an impossible story it's to an tell. Impossible story. King, I do think King, we dare you to rewrite this story. It's a, it's I do a, think it's really hard to to get into the mind of a plagiarist. Like I, I didn't buy the section that explains how Moore decided to plagiarize a story because mm-hmm. I think that people who don't plagiarize just don't get why people do it. Yeah. I don't get why people do it, and it seems so casual to them. Whereas, I don't know, it was an interesting section for me. I think also, back then, it was much easier to do it because, like Mike was saying. Now you can just Google a line and then like things will come up. Mm-hmm. Passages will come up and it's just, it's easy to peg people for this kind of thing. Back then you really had to know or have read these things, yeah. you know, um, you're running this by your publisher, maybe your publisher, some, you know, they've, they're really well versed in everything that's been written out there, you know, but yeah, I, you also I, I didn't, I didn't really buy that either amount when I was reading it, but I was, I'm coming from it from a very, a much more modern, uh, viewpoint. So yeah, I was trying to put myself back then, but it is, I mean, related to structure and format too. the, the era in which this was written, the fact that the book has to be structured around the fact that you can't get a hold of a magazine because it mm-hmm. has to come through the post. Um, that was pleasurable for me. Like I, you know, that's not the world we live in anymore, but I can kind of remember it. And, yeah. um, I kind of miss the fact that we can't structure stories like that anymore. I kind of, I, I it would be so easy to get that magazine. <laughs> It'd be easy to get the magazine, and then I mean, fuck, you could have gotten on eBay for Christ's sake, and probably yeah. gotten something, for, um, or even shown them on eBay or something. But uh, or um, you could have logged on to uh, MySpace or Friendster or um, any number, Live Journal, Facebook. I think this is why also that this maybe doesn't work as well, is because it's it's like how we talk about now when you're writing a new uh, horror story set now. Yeah. It's hard to do anything like this with the technology we have, and then even back then. It's like, okay, well, you can just find the old magazine, but it might take a little bit for it to get to you. You know, like he's working with these constraints of the time where it's, you know, like writing things in the present. It's always really difficult. And I think that's why it kind of just falls flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, Well, I mean, people who plagiarize are bad people. Some (laughs) might even say (laughs) they're, they're villains. And the antithesis of a villain is a hero. And in this book, it's the same person. Let's talk about that. I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! 
That was a great seg. That was a great, yeah, great seg. To, Rivaling I'm Randall's. To, yeah, I'm channeling Randall. <laughs> <laughs> wow. let's, let's shoot through the rest of these and uh, talk about Mort. Mort Rainey. Mort Rainey. You didn't have a you had a problem with that name uh, yesterday, Mac. It was uh, we were joking around about that name, being like, "What?" Just the la- sounds like the lamest human being out there. <laughs> um, let me it's just say, be short for Mortimer, right? Mortimer Rainey. I think yeah. So. yeah, Mortimer is Morton Rainey is his name. Maybe Morton Steakhouse. Oh, Morton. Was, yeah, page two twenty one, which I think is very early on when he first meets Shooter. Mm-hmm. He says. His first thought is that the character doesn't exactly look real. <laughs> I thought that's so... <laughs> he literally says that in the book, like, oh, he just, in his mind, you know? You're like, you're really going to say that when the first time we meet this character, we're immediately thinking, okay, maybe he's not real. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just like, what are you thinking? It's misdirection. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, so, Mark Rainey could conceivably be worth more than Stephen King if he has a 24-bedroom house. I, I, let me at least put that out there. Oh. That is insane. And a lake house. A lake house. You know, you everyone know, I, knows them. I, I think it's very interesting. A lot of these like, – same thing Dark Half. You know, they have a lake house somewhere. Yeah. Like, these writers are doing real well. Well, hey, King's <laughs> got a lake house, except it's an ocean house, and it takes place in uh, Clearwater. So it takes place. It's in Clearwater. <laughs> I take place in Iowa City. <laughs> you do, which is in uh, uh, St. Louis, right? No, um, right, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, deep in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, Mort is uninteresting, but not so uninteresting that I that I shut the book. Like, I feel like he's realistic enough. I mean, I guess he does remind me a little bit of our good friend Dawes. Um, he, <laughs> Dawes. I don't know. Oh, he's just Barton he's and just, Morton. <laughs> did you guys like him? Did you relate to him? I, there was, it was, I have a weird, uh, love hate relationship with this character because there are so many insights that he had that I've come to those conclusions as well. Um, situationally, this is not too far from a lot of the stuff that I've been, uh, experiencing in the last uh, couple of years, uh, nothing to do with the murder, death and psychosis, but mostly just the idea of separation and, um, and, 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 and guilt, um, and so a lot of the stuff that this, that a lot of those own sort of insights that he had were, which were clearly King, obviously, cause King's writing it, but he's really kind of putting himself in, in there. I feel with just his own perspective as a writer were things I really liked. And so when he's talking about his craft and his own sort of downward spirals that, that are tied to his own life events, I loved when he's playing detective, I fucking can stand him. Well, <laughs> like, let me ask you this though. Now did, has King ever gone through a separation or a, a divorce? He's never gone through a divorce. And, and if not, no. Like, it's my I think pet that's theory that he, he's definitely cheated on Tabby and they've argued about <laughs> oh. it. Oh. <laughs> I'm serious. Well, no, I, well, I was going to say because he seems to know what he's writing about. And like you said, Mike, you, you, you connected with this in a way that we obviously haven't. And you, it seems like he really knows what he's talking about. You, you know, your writers like to write what they know, but he hasn't actually gone through this experience. So I, I think you might be right, Mel. I think there might be a little juicy story there somewhere <laughs> which we're not going to dig up but well, again, i'm um, basing that on the fact that he's constantly excusing cheating on the part of a husband if the person he's cheating with is like an old friend or like something that needs closure and then it's fine and they can go back to their married life that's such a reappearing theme or, or that even I, like I, dawes and the hitchhiker <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> what about um you know like that dave matthews band song say goodbye a lot like that. Yep. 
<laughs> and Dave Matthews has a new album that's just come out. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I, the thing is, is that I, I didn't hate him. And the, I guess the problem is that you had mentioned this yesterday, Matt, because like, he always feels that he's earned, right? Or like he's complaining that like, you know, the world's out to get him and that he's, you know, and I th- kind of agree I with I guess that. it's for me reading the story and I agree with you Mel I didn't there wasn't a moment where I was like I can't read this anymore like I was I was moving through it pretty quickly mm-hmm. and I think because it is it is a novella a short novella I was like okay I can breeze through this I really just wanted to find out what the ending is is it what I thought is going to happen based on the trailer from the secret window movie. <laughs> Cause <laughs> I really was, I was like, I, I, I felt like I called it as a, as a kid, I called it from watching the stupid trailer. Now granted trailers give everything away, especially back then, mm-hmm. but I really wanted to see what, what happens. But with Mort, I just felt like it's really tiring to, I think when you're not in that place and you're reading a character and all, they're so self-deprecating and just talking about like, woe is me, woe is me, I've lost this, I've lost that, and not doing anything to really better the situation. And all they do is lay around in a cabin and drink. It's just, it, it wears me out. It wears me out. Because I, I, unfortunately, I know a lot of people like that in my life. Uh, and, you know, it's just like, it, it, it's tiring. It's tiring. Tiring is a good got, word. Yeah. yeah. Go, go for it, Matt. So, no, I got, no. I, I mean, it's tiring. And again, I I understand that that's this character. So, you know, I was on board. And, I, you know, I, again, I read it pretty pretty fast. And, you know, I was invested to some extent. But uh, I just, I wasn't really rooting for him at all. I wasn't like, oh, I hope he doesn't get, I hope he doesn't get pinned as this guy and then just shooters framing him, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was just kind of like, I don't really care what happens to this character. I, you know, I want to see what the reveal is, but I didn't really care either way when mm-hmm. it came to the end. And I think that's a, that's a failure. And maybe that's just my personal point of view, but. There was a lot of, a lot of, uh, familiar King devices where he'd be like, well, I can't talk to the police because this and this and this, and I'm going to spend five paragraphs telling you why I told this person one thing and this person another thing. Um, which I think is part of the detective work you're talking about. Exactly. Like he backpedals everything into the point where you're, it's like tiring. I I think that's such a perfect word because I, I felt so exhausted by his character because it's like, you could easily get out of these type of situations if you just like, you know, it's, we're watching someone in a downward spiral, right? We're watching someone who's amidst a breakdown who doesn't know that he's in a breakdown. And obviously that's going to be tiring, but it's also really frustrating as a reader because you have no agency over anything that's going to be happening. You just have to keep watching this happen. So it's like, it's like worse than watching a car crash happen. It's like seeing like, it's like seeing um, a car crash that's going to be happening when you know, I I can't really explain what what that is with that metaphor, but yeah, I, I, it's Mel. It's like that's why I think I'm liking it to road work because you're just constantly watching this guy complain, mm-hmm. and 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 every you're just like you, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this the whole time, and they never do any of that stuff, and they just keep spiraling out, and you just get kind of like a, it's frustrating. It's a mm-hmm. frustrating read, and maybe it's supposed to be that, obviously, to some extent. Um, but it's like also like Chernobyl, like watching that. Yeah, like they they, they just keep making mistakes. And you're just like, oh my like God, like you've got to be kidding me. But you know what I mean? Like they just, yeah, they keep no, doing the wrong things. Yeah. And so when he starts not telling certain people mm-hmm. certain things and telling, you're just like, this is all going to come back to haunt you. And that's kind of the whole point of the story yeah. is the, the sense of the past kind of coming back 
uh, to haunt you in a way that you was unexpected, I guess. So you know what it reminds me of? He succeeds in that way. It's just it's a tiring read, and I just I. I, I, I'm very empathetic, so I get really wrapped up when, with characters. And when I can, when you just see this character running themselves down, and then you see them making all these mistakes, it's hard for me to distance myself from that. And then I do you just, yell I get when you read? Are you like yelling at the? Book? Oh yeah, I was on the train, just like Mort. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? <laughs> and people are looking Mort, at me. No, like, Mort. I, I would I would liken it to one of my favorite scenes from Austin Powers, uh, the original one, International International Man oh. of Mystery, and it's when they're in the hallway and they're on the roller. And the guy's yeah. like, no, and he's like, like yards no, away. No. And then he's like, move out of the way, get out of the way. And he's like, no, and then you just eventually just roll over him. <laughs> and it's that inevitability that's so frustrating to watch, especially as a reader, because you have like, you're like, oh, God, we have 100 more pages of this. And I know exactly where it's going. Awesome. That, that's the like, thing. I, I think that's the failure. Like if, if he was trying to make it really obvious, I think that's a disservice to the story because mm-hmm. then. We're spending an uh, you know a hundred more pages knowing the ending, so it's never going to be satisfying because it's like well we already know the ending, and when you treat it like a twist at the end, it's like no dude you, you gave the twist away yeah. two hundred pages ago, and uh, that's not enough. Well, like, he's, also not, he's not leading nearly a compelling life as King thinks he is. I mean, obviously that's the point because he's doing this, he's a recluse and whatnot. But even just like the sort of spooky stuff that he laces in between, or he supposedly thinks is spooky are just like, I mean, they're so blatantly obvious in terms of a metaphorical perspective. Like, oh, him coming in and thinking that Shooter's in the bad, 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 like bathroom, but he sees himself in the mirror. Or, you know, the fall like house the, of Usher see, with the cracks I in like the walls. I like the execution like, of that, yeah. that sequence. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, but he does it you know no one's in there. Yeah. But, like, right. I, I just... But even then, like, when he goes back in... And he goes and sees the typewriter alone with this, you know, secret window. And he thinks somebody's in there again. I mean, he's just recycling the same t- sort of events over and over again. I think it's just it like, feels, Jesus, we're doing it, this again? For me, when the story is being really active like that, when things are actually happening, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Yeah. And I'm on board. But when we're just in this unreliable narrator's head for page upon page, yeah. I'm just like, let's go. Let's get to the, the next phone the call Powers. with someone that's real. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. The Austin Powers metaphor is... Uh, if you don't, in that case, moving out of the way is like getting therapy. It's like someone being yeah. like, get therapy. And you're like, no. <laughs> yeah, for real. And then you have a psychotic break and you the thing <laughs> dissociate. That's, the thing that's great, though, um, about Mort uh, is well, let's just, hear this. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just like I, I really do love when the revelations do come. I almost feel like. Um, fucking Paul Giamatti at the end of The Illusionist. I'm like, ah, this. Oh, you have the Delacorte that leads into the uh, the the original thing with Kittner, and then into the you know the the reasons why he had all these names. Because the only I've started grasping at things to like make myself interested. Because as I was reading it, I'm like, well, I know this is going to go. So let's you got to find something here. And the horror is not doing it for me. And the you know the thrilling aspects of it aren't. And they're not enough King's Dominion. So what can I do? Let's Pokemon this. And so I just started like thinking of all the little details that he's sharing, like the Southern accent or names that are that are popping out that are, you know, that definitely have some sort of like bookmark esque nature Mm -hmm. to them. And that became fun to kind of see them all come together at the end to how he created a lot of these characters and stuff. But at the end, like again, like we were just discussing, it happens at like the last 25 percent of this book. So you're still just like, you know you're in like this car trying to think of, you know, fun games like I spy for the whole time. And that's not fun as a reader, you know? Mm. And I, I also think those bookmarks are, our King is like, here's a bookmark. Yeah, it is. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, let's talk about Mort's, Mort's other half, his better half, maybe even. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm talking not about Amy, but about John Shooter. Shooter. I have I have in my character's notes here John Shooter, and then I have nothing by him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think because it's everything I has in my head, but <laughs> so we we tend to really. You know, we always have an axe to grind with, like, regards to how much he describes things, King does. Mm-hmm. But, oof, the description for Shooter goes on for, I swear, like, five pages. <laughs> well, well, and he's wearing a shirt. And well, the and then shirt it's repeated later for another five pages, every 25 pages. Yeah. We get we get every time Mort and Shooter encounter each other, there's, like, five paragraphs where it's like, Mort realized this man would fight him if it came down to it. And here's how he knew that. And it's another five paragraphs. Yeah. It's- um and 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 and, and it, the sad thing is is all of this description just I never felt like he was a threatening presence. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know, I just never bought that. I just was never scared of this character. I never, even when he starts doing things and killing people, and and again, I think it's just because from right from the get go, you know he's not real. Yeah, like I mean, like I said, that line where he's just like, oh, you didn't look exactly real. <laughs> I was like, you he really might have been like a that? figment of my imagination. Um, yeah, he's such a he's such a. Also, because we've read so much King, I feel like just from the very first page with his dialogue of like, well, right is right and fair is fair is like, and here is a King character, yeah, uh, yeah. coming out of the woodwork to be so Kingy. <laughs> I I wrote on my notes. It's, that's funny, Max. So the the this man doesn't look real is in the third paragraph. <laughs> Uh, in the third paragraph the third of the story, paragraph. yeah, yeah, so crazy. But, but the the description for uh, shooter, this is the entire first part of the description. This is only the fourth <laughs> paragraph. Uh, this was of no help in resolving the situation, but it was undeniably true. The man who had rung Rainey's doorbell out here in a Western Maine version of nowhere looked about forty five. He was very thin. His face was calm, almost serene, but carved with deep lines. They moved horizontally across his high brow in regular waves, cut vertically downward from the ends of his thin lips to his jawline, and radiated outward in their thin sprays from the corners of his eyes. The eyes were bright, unfaded blue. Rainey couldn't tell what color his, his hair was. He was a large. He had a. He wore a large black hat with a round crown planted squarely on. Keep going, I wrote on the side of my notes right here. And it keeps going for like four fucking more paragraphs. I'm just like, I want the story to go. You are literally starting the story off. And the the third, fourth paragraph is like this insane, monotonous description of this one man. Like, oof, you're trying too hard. Maybe he just felt like by describing him so thoroughly that it was obvious that he was real. But yeah. I don't know. It's almost like but you know, again, trying to smoke and murder. The description is 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 such a weird caricature mm-hmm. that I just never. It never felt threatening or scary. No. I'm sorry, but like, it, I mean, John Turturro on the movie. I, like, I love again. I keep having to say this. I love John Turturro, but he he just doesn't. He's not a scary presence. No, and he, he's neither a southerner. And the way either, that he talks so. and the way that he speaks, like, I just didn't buy. It being frightening at all. I mean, just like, who cares? Well, I, I, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Turturro for sure in the movie thing, but I thought it was really cool when David Kep uh, behind the scenes was like, look, this is a, we need a Mississippi man. Let's get Italian American actor, American Italian actor John Turturro from New York. 
to play this man. But maybe he was thinking like, you know, he's not real. He's a, he's a figment that has been created. (laughs) So he can't be a real Mississippi person. He has to be someone like acting. Excuses, excuses. Well, if the reveal was that it was actually John Turturro, that would have been something else. That would have been like actor John Turturro. (laughs) Yes. And he's holding the script for my God. Like Um, it was me the whole time. Turturro is written all over his house. Of of all your pain. (laughs) It's, it should be noted that Turturro was, uh, you're removed from starring and do the right thing when uh, this uh, story was published. Great movie. Um, do we have anything else to say? Like I, the characters in this book are very thinly sketched. Mm-hmm. It is more about Mort's inner demons. And I mean, Amy's fine. Ted is fine. That great insurance agent. <laughs> so, well, I guess I, I had a question uh, about the insurance we... agent. Um, do they okay. usually carry guns? <laughs> he shoots Mort at the end. Yeah, like, you know, this just... is, this is America, bro. <laughs> Uh, let's talk really quickly about shooter, about the reality of shooter and Mm -hmm. that twist ending. Sure. All right. right. Do you buy that ending (laughs) of him being a ghost? Like I, when it got to that and they explain, and then Tom Greenleaf is in in a very King way is like, you know, but I looked in my rearview mirror and then I thought I did see a car there and a man, but you could see right through them. It was like a short story tag that in Night Shift that would have been like, ooh, send chills down my spine. And like, and I, I liked that twist, but then I thought, yeah, but this story just, it just sucks. It still sucks. It doesn't mm-hmm. make up for the bad story for the, for the last 200 pages or whatever. Like, I like that twist, but it doesn't, but the fact that Shooter really just disappears and is just Mort with the hat on at the end, I was like, well, if he's real, then why? I wish we, I wish Amy at some point didn't didn't maybe didn't see more like yeah. like for a second more yeah. didn't look like himself like 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 shooter was kind of coming so you're saying like a alive force or something that was yeah. yeah because well, if they're gonna tease it at haunted. the end yeah because if yeah. they're gonna tease that at the end then i feel like that should have been a little bit more present in the actual maybe just hinted at at, mm-hmm. at, at the very least but it's not it's very much just more like gone crazy and it's like, well, if you're going to do that, then do that and double down on it. Don't don't do the tag ending because as much as I liked it, it wasn't it didn't feel really earned because you're just like, what? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess know, you could little... I guess it's supposed to be that <laughs> I'm looking at the the, the sort of um, physicality of this is that it would be almost like, um, oh, God, what is the fucking pop culture entity that does this? Where it's like the ghost follows the shadows, the person that they're possessing. Um, it's like exorcist almost, right? Like where, when Reagan's possessed, you he, they see your oh, father once sees in a while the, breaks through. Yeah. yeah you and see, you see that ghost. Yeah. yeah. yeah so demon. I wonder if it's like the same type of thing. And we're supposed to believe that this was like a possession story. So then here's the thing. I have a, a question on that. If this is a possession, is it uh, Kittner? No. No, absolutely <laughs> not. What, what a here's reason. a manifestation <laughs> of guilt. You know? Here's my problem. Like that, that on its face is a cool concept that he is so um, consumed by this thing that he's also repressing, that he's haunted by a thing that he did, so haunted that it takes on its own life and its own agency and its own goals. Like I guess that's a, that's a cool idea and that's like – trauma or or guilt becoming its own force which is classic in terms of ghost stories right but and king does this all the time he always like relates it back to these things that's like if this really happened every single person alive would have one of these things Mm -hmm. and you act like writing and plagiarism is like (laughs) this higher art that's going to create this ghost maybe it does no it's such a it really bothers me can i (laughs) sorry (laughs) can i read the message from John Shooter. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, 
uh, just like there's a message left, and they're like, oh, it's from a ghost. He says, Mrs., I'm sorry for all the trouble. Things got out of hand. I'm going back to my home now. I got my story, which is all I came for in the first place. It's called Crowfoot Mile, and it's a crackerjack. Yours truly, John Shooter. What the fuck well, is going on here at the end? Like, if okay, the, when did he write? When did he write this? He didn't. When, write who it. got the message? Is it John Shooter? Is John Shooter oh. actually real? Is he a ghost? <laughs> who can What the story is called Crowfoot Mile? Well. John Shooter is the idea of having stolen a story. That's who he is. Like, it's all connected. But it's also supposed to be uh, Kittner. Right. Because I actually did steal a story Uh from him. This is like, like, so this ending is like, imagine if at the end of Fight Club, um, instead of the Pixies, where is my mind sequence, which is wonderful and gorgeous. It had been like, they, they left and security guards like were like, they're investigating the building that blew up. And they're like, check out this. And you see Edward Norton's character and there's like a blur like next to him. Like, what is that? <laughs> and it's supposed to be, you know, assuming oh, that Tyler Durden was really believe them into right, existence. That's the problem. It's that like, yeah, like, of course, if that was real, like everyone would be fucking doing it. And King X like writing, being a writer gives you this like unique pain. Like, yeah. and it's like, it's not, I mean, it's hard. Sure. It's not fun sometimes. Well, maybe that's the message he's trying to say. I mean, I know when I go to, you know, one of these uh, Chinese food buffets or any side of place that has some great food. Milwaukee Chubbs comes back and, and is like, Mike, let's uh, let's uh, let's go all in. And I'm like, I don't want to go all in. And he like pushes me. And it's another character that a manifestation of my own guilt of being um, gluttonous over my life. But no, well, I you should I, write us a short, a write a short novella. I, I already were working on one. It's uh, it's 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 called, yeah, it's um, called uh, uh, secret, secret fridge Chubb secret secret Chubbs. OK, secret Chubbs hidden fridge. That's porn. Um <laughs> Also, Amy is psychic. We'll just throw that out there. Um, yes. Amy, well, that, this, oh, <laughs> I have some KD. Here we go. Yeah. Well, you, you want to leave it for that? Then? We'll leave it for that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, Anything yeah, else about yeah. characters? Because uh, I really well, feel like they're empty vessels for the most part. Yeah. There's not too much to talk about. I mean, there's Amy Rainey, who, yeah, like we said, there's some kind of connect there. I thought that the way he wrote uh, Amy was pretty solid um in the sense that like you get this sympathetic um partner that acknowledges that they both had flaws and they both they also both needed to separate um i without you know going full transparency there are parts of this that remind me of conversations i've had with my ex-wife where you know we both acknowledge that we've got been going through some sort of traumatic experiences and you contend with it on a logical level. And I thought that Amy was pretty logical in a lot of situations here. Um, the problem is, yeah, is that I liked Amy. the problem is that they also villainize her by an almost, but, and I guess it's because you have to kind of support more in this way. And this is such a, a oh, he's awful when he thinks about her. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, and that's kind of unfair because that's really mostly what we get from Amy other than these right. glimpses until the very end. Um, in which I guess in a way is kind of fortunate that we do have that epilogue because then we actually get to see the real Amy. Um, and uh, definitely would have liked to have seen a little bit more of her. Maybe that would have played into the structure and format of like if we didn't have, if we had more of a third person on mission here. Yeah. Um, I think you know? that's where the novel would have went mm-hmm. if it would have been from her point of view yeah. and his point of view. Yeah. Um, 
We but, I don't know, though. But we would have known I, about that Delacorte <laughs> revelation. That's the problem. It's yeah. like you have all these traps, you know, that you just form a trap. You form traps around you when you make these type of narratives because you're like, well, we got to keep this secret hidden, you know, and you know, we can't let anything loose, let, mm. let loose. So do you guys have any any thoughts on Tom Greenleaf and Greg Carstairs <laughs> and and Mrs. Gavin, the housekeeper and. Love Mrs. Gavin. <laughs> yeah, Miss Gavin. Could you imagine? I would like, say in the book, in? We, I, it's, we got to mention this because it's a difference in the movie that, that Miss Gavin is not a fan, not a fan of Mort in the book. No. Yeah. Um, the um, book is like, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> she's in it for like two it's, seconds. It's, it's such a sport, a short space. Like King is like, also this character is like, just hates ladies. Doesn't mm-hmm. like them very much. They're they're really nosy. <laughs> like he doesn't I, like it. I did. I did have written down, um, which is something. Uh, Sam mentioned the other day too. It was that uh, she she pulls the story out of the trash, much like Tabby pulled mm-hmm. Carrie out of the trash yeah. or whatever. You know, like get right what you know. Yeah. Um, Were you expecting uh, Morton, Miss um, Gavin, to have some sort of like sexual affair or some sexual fling? Given you know, well, I King's thought Mort was I. I thought we were more likely to see like Mort walk in on you know Miss Gavin and and, and bump. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and now it's time for misery yeah <laughs> she she died she just slipped away slipped away slipped away oh yeah well, what do you guys think of bump i think bump's bump good. the cat bump's fine. bump sat alone on a <laughs> muggy garbage can marsh <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's like on a marsh it's so fine. in the would you here's the thing when you see that cat pinned to the wall and it's a screwdriver. Well, it's the top of the, I think it's a, it's a screwdriver to the top of a garbage. The can. garbage. I think it's like more a, weird. weird. Yeah. Like a garbage box or something yeah. like that. Cause the bears and all. Yeah. Um, I would, th- that was, I thought it was like the red alarm, mother alarm from alien. Like this guy is just, totally fucking in on it and you know he's oh in really his head. see I, I didn't think that you know or no because i, I just like it you're takes not gonna a lot react. to kill an animal i think no no but i thought like the his reaction to it being like i'm not gonna call the authorities or anything like why right not not doing that and then also all the thinking yeah. about like well the blood is fresh so he couldn't have like gone to dairy and burned down my house but because that doesn't make any sense but it's like it makes total sense if you did it yeah <laughs> like, and, and it also makes total sense that like <laughs> if you're still believing that john shooter is a human being like why who else burned down the house dude like this guy literally just threatened <laughs> like you know <laughs> it's so Some ridiculous other. <laughs> Oh, maybe it was, uh, you know, what, what if they, he just had conceived of like a fourth, like a, you know, a, a random person, you know, oh, maybe it was actually, you know, uh, Clemp or like, yeah, what? Clemp like, pistols. Clemp you know, pistols. Yeah. Like, I mean, just, uh, yeah. Well, even the description when they find bump is, is the black thing was bump shooter shooter had apparently broken the cat's neck before nailing him to the roof of the garbage cabinet with a screwdriver from Mort's own tool, tool shed. How did he know the neck was broke? How did he like? He's like already knows all this stuff about it, right? Like it had him in shooter, and then this is how it happened. And it's like, okay, you know that because you did it, you yeah. know? Like I don't. It's just kind of like, <laughs> oh, you may. I, I had apparently is the key word. Yeah, exactly. I also like that they both at some point. Um, I think it's either um, Mort and Greg or Mort and Herb both agree that like calling Dave Newsom, the local constable is like kind of a useless thing. It's like, eh, you know, let's not call this guy. He kind of sucks. He's old. Yeah. <laughs> like what? You know, that's a major problem from a town level, but welcome to Tashmore. Yeah. 
Tashmore. What a cool name. Tashmore, am I right? <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, uh, all right. Well, if, if I found Watson nailed to a garbage can, I would be pretty miserable. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. And now. Well, uh, yeah. And no, I agree. I would be miserable. And I, I barely know Watson. Yeah. You might be in a state of misery. I would. Let's go there. She she died. She just slipped away. Slipped away. Slipped away. She didn't just slip away. You did it. 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 You murdered my misery. All right, I feel, I feel like, like we've been living be in like, misery. Yeah, this is gonna probably be about what, like an hour, an hour uh, section. No, um, uh, for I, me- I only have one. Oh, really? Go for no, it. No, I have two. I have two. I have one written, but <laughs> I think we've already been laying them out there. But I mean, go I for feel it. like we've talked about our concerns kind of writ large in the same sense of the misery section. But like, uh, yeah, the first time we he he talks about Amy, Amy was a bright woman, but she had always she had always had a bit of a dead short between her brain and her mouth. He remembered once musing that she should have a T-shirt reading "Speak Now, Think Later." <laughs> God, yeah. Jesus Christ! Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think he really likes his ex-wife very much. <laughs> I mean, I think it's kind of telling that he spends, you know, at least what, four pages talking about John Shooter and like less, like maybe a line or two about Amy when we first meet her. That's pretty cool. Um, I, I thought of uh, the opposite of that. I thought the glut of unnecessary descriptions. I had, I had just read the shooter one. I th- I thought that was just exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, king being king sometimes, and king gets a little too king, and that's a uh, not my king. You know, when um, king, <laughs> let me just say this: what's hard about these these current this book? Because mm-hmm. I was listening to the Langoliers, and I haven't read Langoliers, but I, I was editing the episode, I was listening to it, and it is they they really give it hard. They really tear it down. They do. When King is good, he's good. But when he's bad, it's like we can't give this guy a pass. And, and I just, I, I just want our listeners to know, and the people that have been listening to us for a long time, if if this is your first few episodes, if you're reading Four Past Midnight with us, and this is your first intro to this Oof. podcast, I'm sorry, but we've got to be honest. And this is this is not King at his best. No. Having said that, page three hundred six. <laughs> All the talk about the tar baby. I know. Oh, God. no, the tar baby. <laughs> and again, oh. you're like, I, I, some people would be like, oh, well, you know, the time when she was written. <laughs> this was in the 90s. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't thrilled about that. Well, but, you want to read that whole section? I'm just joking. Uh, not a huge. I know I have it all written God, here if you really don't. want to. But uh, um, uh, yeah, the the the. The Guild Edition three 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 oh six. If you're really interested, uh, I don't really have a lot else. A lot of other stuff written because I feel like as we're talking about the story, we've been talking about a lot of the misery uh, that we've had with it. Um, but do you guys have any other specific? Uh, yeah, I've got oh, a few yeah. more. But you go for it, Mel. So I think sometimes I you know I, I agree with you, Mike. That Amy, we get to have a little bit more of a sympathetic view of her, but the story also wants to give her lines that are straight out of a soap opera. Totally. Um, like on my three forty seven, um, I don't want to argue with you more. She said softly, that part should be over. All I'm trying to say is that even when you were here, you were gone a lot. You had your own lover, you know, your work was your lover. Her voice was steady, but he sensed tears buried deep inside it. How I hated that bitch Mort. She was prettier <laughs> than me, smarter than me, more fun than me. How could I compare <laughs> I also wrote that line down under the character of Amy Rainey <laughs> because it's like, it's so, it's so King. What a weird name too. Amy Rainey. 
That's also weird. Well, yeah. It's a married, married, married name. Married name. It is a married. And that name. also strikes me as the same sort of like elevating again the profession of the writer to this thing where it's like, oh my, you can work, you can still be a good like I promise you it's doable. Like let's not even go here. Well, it's the same thing with like Bill Dembro, you know, like right. he's just like buried in his work and mm-hmm. his marriage is failing because of it. And it's like it's one thing to be like, well, you know, I, I read an interview recently uh, with. Stephen King, where he was saying that he tried to he tries to write like six pages a day when he's writing a book, and it's like three to four hours a day of just like writing. So I'm like, how is your marriage failing, dude? Like if you're only spending three hours a day writing, you know, and then the rest is just what shooting the shit with Molly, the thing of evil, and your wife. Yeah. Now, granted, that's how it is now. I think I don't know how it was back in the day when he was like on drugs yeah. and just probably holed up with a chair against the door. <laughs> snorting coke and writing about green skies and trucks killing people you know like you know just listening to like non-stop classic rock music and just like wigging out like lester bangs or something i'd love that <laughs> all i can picture is like what's his fucking name from the stand uh from the from the miniseries uh parker lewis Oh, when I he's don't. like in the basement listening yes, to disco yes, and he's exactly. like, he's working on the bomb. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, I like, totally see I that. I was like, oh yeah, this is, like take that bomb away. Put a typewriter there. And that's probably King back then, back yeah. in the day. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Cause that's a, uh, don't mess with my disco Nadine. Oh, good, good old Harold. Can't wait to see who, who plays him in this one. Um, All I know is that I'm going to start referring to my writing and work as that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love yeah. Dub, yeah. You get an old typewriter and call it the bitch, the cold bitch. <laughs> I, I have to go back to the bitch. Back, uh, the bitch is back. Isn't that, uh, <laughs> that's a Bruce Springsteen th- song, I believe. I uh, no, that's a uh, uh, Elton John. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, um, I, I've mentioned this before, but the obvious metaphors were just killing me. You know, like the, the mirror, um, being shattered, the whole crack on the wall. I thought was just like, so it was like we already got the idea that this is like the telltale heart with like the sense of guilt, you know, and he went full Poe by just showing the shattering on the walls to show that his like own mental instability was there. And I was just like, oh, my God, dude, it was already obvious enough. Now you're like laying on these metaphors too. just mm-hmm. that killed me. Um, this is really nitpicking, but. At first, he uses elderly to describe a bag of Doritos, and I loved it. And then he uses it again 25 pages later to describe Shooter's station wagon. And I was like, no, you can't do it again. Uh, you, you know, what are you doing? Like, why are you using this description again? Like, that's such a cool, unique description. You got to pick one or the other. And I'd go with the bag of Doritos. I think it's I've, interesting. Um, I've got another piece of misery. Go for it. <clears throat> Page 334. His index finger was marked by a small dot of blood. It looked like a bit of punctuation, the kind which ends a sentence. Uh, and that is the bullet that kills him. It's like uh, a, a period, dun, 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 the saying. end. Like it's so, it's so over it's the so top. On the, on the, um, not the, as over the top the, as, oh God. <laughs> as my 377 when they are, it's during the epilogue, talking about how he cut out his own pages of the mm. story in the magazine. Um, the missing pages were in the Buick's glove compartment. In the end, the existence of that story became a mystery even to him. Yes. said softly. <laughs> so, so lame. And, I, and, and these are like the type of things that we usually say on this podcast is like jokes. Yeah. You know, who, like next time you you're driving. Who plays, who plays the, uh, the investigator thing? The one that's like walking through this, oh, like at I the end of Psycho. Look. 
No, I'm not, oh, not, not in the movie. I'm saying, no, no, no. I'm just saying, like, who would you cast if they did the book ending? Oh. Where the guy comes in, like, what, what actor is coming in and just, like, and saying all these things? Robert Forster, who is that Forster. character in uh, the remake of Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's that type of stuff, though, Jeez. that, like, there's just no nuance to it. And, oh. you know, and, and had there been maybe a little bit more nuance, this might have been a more compelling read. But because it's just... It honestly reminds me a lot of like the new Twilight Zone, where it's just caught, it just shoves it down your throat. But um, I like in the story, in the sewing season story, the description. He says the wife was a cold, loveless bitch. <laughs> yeah, just it is just like that's why it feels like a Bachman book, you know? It does, and that's why I was surprised that it was almost like this is a Bachman book. This is a Bachman book, and then the last like paragraph where they're like. Maybe he was a ghost. Yeah. It's like no, it's actually a Stephen King novel. <laughs> like, you know, like, it really felt like that. Like Bachman's skin peels off, and it's Stephen King being like, "It was me all along." Um, I bet you thought I was a misogynist, but really there was a ghost. But I love that lame reveal too, where they're like, "Oh, uh, Mort and Amy were, were vacationing in the country, and he bought that hat, and it's been in the attic." And that like it's just like lame. Like what a dumb thing to like attribute to your character. Like that well, stupid hat. It reminds Why'd me. You have it in there. It reminds me of um, eighty miles scene in Role Models when he's uh, telling oh, the, yeah, the ghost, ghost story. story was like, it was the pizza delivery. Boy. Boy, with the, from the beginning of the story, and everyone's, and everyone's like, what? like, okay, next. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> um, I think honestly, ultimately, what really does destroy this is just how it feels redundant. Like the dark half. I mean, like even at the end when he's like created his own persona, like that was like, oh my god, dude. Like this like, is yeah, we just know we guessed it two hundred like, pages ago. So yeah, that for me it was just the this the you know we've been here, done that. Come on. Yep. Yeah. At least in well, the dark it, half, it's It still it's felt clear. gross, and I hadn't read the dark half. <laughs> yeah. It felt redundant in itself. Like, every interaction with Shooter was mm-hmm. redundant. Um, every conversation with Amy was somewhat redundant. I don't know. I think you dig the dark half, Mel. Yeah. I, because I'll they, read it. Because from the get-go, they, you know you're in on it. Yeah. But it's in, okay. a, in, a, in a way that works. Here's, here's another thing I thought of, because the dark half is so insanely gory. Um, like crazy gory, like some of the most goriest like details that King's ever written in terms of like Stark's murder. got some good kills in there. Yeah. This felt exactly like the 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 movie in two thousand four, especially that era of horror where it's so it pulls its punches and it feels so PG thirteen. You know, oh, like, yeah. Well, it, he just and the the problem is is because you the mysteries there of who is he? Is, did he do it? You never see any of the yeah. horror. It's always after the fact, mm-hmm. and it's never really that jarring. No. It's like, oh, wow, screwdriver. You know? Yeah. It's not scary. No, no. You know what is scary? What? Cemetery. Oh. Oh. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, (laughs) but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery... Human at all. all right. Full disclosure, I have a lot here. What? I have um, I do. I have zero point zero. <laughs> zero. Zero, cem- zero gravestones in the cemetery. Mike, what do you have? Well, I, you start. I have 
Yeah, Mike spill. I have What's two happening? things that are supposed to be scary, but they're not. And I'll read. I'll Go read for them. it. Go for it. it. Was it was finding bump <laughs> with the screwdriver? I was like, I was like, yeah, that's pretty. That's disturbing, but like, eh, who cares? And then um, finding Tom and Greg dead with a screwdriver in the head and the hatchet in the back of the head. Like, I just didn't. I was just not impressed I, I i don't know i just thought well, okay. Shrug. No, well it, it didn't scare me at all we're supposed to do our top five so mike what are your six holy christmas yes yeah all right, let's hear it so mel has no great go, go from six you to have, one like, go to weathered six, gravestones. six to one so all right so uh, honestly, these are like civil war gravestones they've yeah, been, yeah, been there for a long time been there for a while it's like wow 1832 <laughs> no name yeah um I thought the the first description, um, or later, like earlier on, when he first realizes the the what's happening, um, this is uh, on page three hundred seven of the Scribner edition. Once the door was closed, the fear returned. He pressed his lips together and waited for the man to start pounding on it. And when that didn't come, he became convinced that the man was just standing out there, still as a stone and as patient as the same, waiting for him to reopen the door, as he would have to do sooner or later. Now. At that moment, I wasn't really picturing John Turturro. In fact, I uh, <laughs> pictured I pictured the guy, um, one of his co-stars in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, uh, oh God, what's his fucking name? Oh, he was in George um, Clooney. No, not George Clooney. No, God, that would, I know, if George I know. Clooney was outside my door, I'd be, you know. Just standing yeah, there. Yeah, get in. Um, no, it's the guy who's from Buster Scruggs. Um, Tim Blake Nelson. Yes. And I thought Tim Blake Nelson would be perfect because he's got that Southern, you know, you know, um, charm to him. He, he makes me uneasy. I think and he he's would very have been uneasy. much better in he that role. He makes me uneasy. And I just I mean, imagine I love Tim Blake Nelson, but he guys guy creeps me out. <laughs> he does, he's, he's creepy. And I just imagine him standing there just solid, like Michael Myers almost. And that creeped me out. Um, uh, the other ones are very, they're kind of personal reasons, but this one really, there's something, and this is, fitting because today is Sunday, but there's really something kind of um, deeply disturbing about feeling depressed and ugly in, when you're surrounded by beauty um, because you realize that like the world can, is still going to move on and go its own way and you could still be stuck in your own personal hell. Um, where, and, where, yeah, you got to read this. So this is something that really got <laughs> that, for me yeah. is that I always think about like the idea of Sunday has always been kind of a haunting day for me because it's supposed to be this idea. And it's, this comes back to my own childhood that like Sundays are supposed to be, you know, a family time. It's supposed to be for, you know, those who are families who are religious, they go to, you know, they yeah, go to church why we together. That's do this pot every Sunday. That's why I love doing the pot on Sunday because <laughs> we're back with a fam. Fam. Um, but, <laughs> you know, for me growing up, I was a latchkey kid and especially with my mother who was like kind of, um, I mean, she's an alcoholic. And um, so a lot of it was just like, you know, waiting around until she'd wake up. And if she did, we'd go get food or whatever. But like, it was awful. Most of the time, just riding my bike around other people that had to go in early and then being alone in that neighborhood while the sun was kind of dwindling and all. So this section right here, 346, like really just stuck with me. And I, I really loved it. Um, he, uh, he writes, he propped the pillows in the familiar positions, one behind his head and one behind his neck and looked out at the lake where the sun was setting at the end of a long and spectacular golden track. I have never felt so lonely and so utterly horrible in my whole life, he thought with some amazement. Then his lids closed slowly over his slightly bloodshot eyes, and Mort Rainey, who had yet to discover what true horror was all about, fell asleep. And that, for, like for me, that. like encapsulated that idea a little yeah. bit. Um, also, uh, similar, similar notion. Um, 
there was the idea, let me get to it, it's on page 390, where he wrote, the house was full of dusty late afternoon sunlight and silence, but it did not feel like unoccupied silence. And some of the creepiest moments growing up as a latchkey kid, and even now, is just being in that stillness of the house and feeling as if something is there. And it should and it should be comforting because there's the sun, it's nice, it's tranquil, but something's amiss. And you can't and when you can't figure that out, it really sticks with you. See, I like these takes, Mike, because yeah. like, you know, that's not my experience. And obviously these things are subjective. They are but I like that, but I like that yeah. you're pulling I like that you're able to take this story and pull these things out of it and find these moments that I think are true. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. we've all kind of, we've all been there in some which way, shape or form. And maybe I keyed into that when reading it, but like, I just didn't, you know, didn't make the, the, the note because I'm not in that place. I wasn't reflecting on something specific like right. that, but yeah. I, I, I do I, feel that. And I, I think that is a good bit of writing there, but yeah, continue. Um, yeah, the idea of it being an unoccupied, not an unoccupied silence is very scary. Yeah. And like it's a I great just, sentence. It is. That's the thing. It's like, and King's so good at that. Um, and I, and most of my favorite like pieces of writing from him is when he does the sort of set dressing. Um, so this is kind of so, not similar, but um, I thought on page 447 when he really, this is where I really started seeing like a lot of the more personal um, insights from King coming out. He had thought of suicide then quite calmly and quite rationally. His mother had sleeping pills. He would use those somewhat eased by this prospect. He tore the envelope open and pulled out a single sheet of stationery. He held it folded in one hand for a long moment and considered burning it without even looking at it. He wasn't sure he could stand to see the accusation held baldly up in front of him. He thought it might drive him mad. And just that ease of no, that notion of like, well, I could always just, you know, unplug. Um, that is very real. Um, and the, uh, the concept of the, the, you know, depression, you sleep a lot. And the, the whole thing is that, you know, you want to dissociate, you want to get, a, you know, what you want to disconnect. So, you know, obviously that's a little bit psychology 101, but like at the same time, like just the idea of, well, my whole world is going to be pulled up from underneath me. Um, and obviously the section deals with more realizing that like, Oh, he's going to get the letter back from this um, elderly queen. And they're going to say like, Oh, you plagiarize and his life is over. And just the, 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 the sort of insistence that like, Oh, I can just kill myself and it'll be that there's a comfort to that. Like really just un, was unnerving to me um, reading about it in this book. And because it's, it, it not only, it not only like hit hard, but also, maybe realize that like maybe Kings actually thought of these things too, because that's not like that. It, that comes from a personal place and it comes from as much of a personal place as what he says when he's describing like smoking, um, when he's describing like his own addictions and all. Um, and so like, for me, it's like th- those little like r- glimpses of reality in this story were just enough for me to like, go, okay, this is, there's some sort of bearing in reality here. And like, there are some sort of consequences to like this downward spiral that's been going on. Um, that makes sense. And it it is so unsettling that in that moment, the thought of suicide is like, Oh, a relief. Like, yeah, I I won't have to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why, again, this is like the, the, the Bachman esque part of it where I, I think if this was just straight up, not supernatural at all. And it was just, it was more about this writer. I think it would have been probably a lot more of an interesting story to me grappling with those things. Um, but then obviously, you know, it's not that, but no, I see, I I see where you're pulling this stuff from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on supernatural note, that's my last one is, uh, I mean, 
you had warned me about the ending because we had hung out yesterday and I had still, yeah. still about 60, 70 more pages to go. And I was still under the assumption that it was going to be very similar to Secret Window. And when it does do that twist and, you know, it's on page 478 of mine, it says um, uh, basically that, you know, Mort waved, Tom waved back. He drove by. Then, according to what Sonny says, Tom looked in his rearview mirror and saw another man with Mort in an old station wagon. Although neither the man nor the car had been there 10 seconds before. The man was wearing a black hat, he said, but you could see right through him and the car, too. That should have been the last line. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, it continues. But then you yeah. find out that, like, they're also haunted from this and that they occasionally see this man appear to them with these sort of, like, eyes of pity. And that really creeped me out because it reminded me of um, in Miami and a lot of actual ghost stories that you hear, you always have this sort of, you know, a lot of this could be sleep paralysis too. Um, There's somebody at the foot of the bed and they're staring at you. Um, And just that image of, you know, shooter with his uh, hat just staring down. John Turturro. John Turturro. (laughs) Yes. Um, Or Tim Blake Nelson. Or Tim Blake Nelson just really creeped me out. And I I wasn't there. My head wasn't there for ghosts at at all. And so to be pulled out from that, like, was just like, holy shit. Like, uh, and and, and yeah. And like, and like I was telling you, like, I I liked that twist. Yeah. And um, so I was, when we watched the movie that I know you had seen it before, I was like, trying to keep my mouth shut because I was like, oh, well, you're going to get to the end of this book in a second and you're going to realize it's not the movie ending. Yeah. And um, and it, it's a little satisfying, but... I mean, yeah. morning sunshine was coming through my room. It was a bright day and I was still like... I had goose flesh just like uh, Fred Evans in this story does. Uh-oh. So... <laughs> I hate that twist, and we've already discussed. I know, I know. It should be the scary stuff. The scarier stuff is the stuff that he's going through in his mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But, but like you were. Oh, go, go ahead. No, no, go for it. I, I was going to say you were you're being very generous, um, a generous reader, and uh, towards these these bits, um, which I, I yeah, I'll reiterate what Max says. I think that's like a great. It's wonderful that we found something for the cemetery (laughs) Um, and that you were able to relate to the to the writing here. Um, I was going to segue and say, you know, can we be a little bit even more generous and (laughs) pick out some bits of writing that we really, really liked in a section that we call word processor of the gods. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, what the, the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? I am dry. No, I really? am dried. Out. Well, you I know, have, I always I have, have a real one. hard time doing that. But um, this one in particular, nothing really blew me away. Uh, Mel, you want to tell us yours? I have one. Um, I just thought this was a nice moment. Uh, 261 of my signet. The sun, which had gone behind a cloud, came out again, and fall colors, which had already been bright, now seemed to burst into flame. His own shadow reappeared, dark and long and clear-cut. Shooter's round black hat looked blacker, his blue shirt bluer, and the air was so clear that the man seemed scissored from a swatch of reality that was brighter and more vital than the one Mort knew as a rule. I like that. When is that? Scissors, when is that from a in? swap of reality? Um, that's like pretty early. It's only section eight. Talk about reality again. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But that, in that sense, he's yeah, saying yeah. he's more, he's more real than real. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I, I personally, again, like I've been reiterating this whole episode, I really did like King's own personal insights and I'm not going to go back and revisit all those, but, um, there was one revelation that he put in here that I have never really realized. I, it's just always been something that I've had. There's just like some sort of inherent dread with it. And it's his concept of naps. And I, cause I, you know, I love relaxing and all, but I don't like naps. And it's for this very feeling. Um, on page 322, he writes, for every step he took forward, the entrance to the hall seemed to retreat a step back. And it occurred to Mort, not for the very first time, that hell was probably like the way you felt after sleeping too long and too hard on a hot afternoon. The worst of it wasn't physical. The worst was that dismaying, disorienting sense of being outside yourself somehow. Just an observer looking through dual TV cameras with blurry lenses. Granted, that pretty much sums up the entire... There's a spoiler right there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I always feel like that after naps. Like I never feel comforted. I've, I've, there's been so many situations where I just doze off watching something and then I wake up and I'm still, you know, have eight hours until, you know, regular sleeping time and I'm just fucked for the rest Stop of the day. Stop taking I'm naps. <laughs> no, I, I hate naps Set an as alarm. Well. I'm not a big, I'm not a big napper and I'm, I'm against them. I'm actually, I'm a staunch, I've <laughs> no advocate. napping, no napping, anti-naps. Yeah. You stay awake even more. I don't like naps so much. I wasn't, I didn't even download Napster. Uh, awful oh, joke. boy. Lame joke. Um, but no, but seriously, like that disorienting sense is just the worst. It is. It's pretty bad. It sucks. Know? Yeah. And that's all he does in this movie, in this book is just nap, nap, nap. Like, you know. Any um, other uh, moments of writing genius? Um, uh, he's got some great stuff on divorce. Um, <laughs> not that that's like great or beautiful or anything, but he writes it really well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the stuff that um, Mort found that even the laugh hurt. They knew each other all right. Wasn't that what the years together were supposed to be for? And wasn't that why it hurt so goddamn bad when you discovered that not only could the years end, they really had. Um, you know, there's things I did not expect in this sort of like soap opera drama. Little these nuggets little and nuggets. There. You're like, ooh, yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty good there. Um, and then obviously I love what he goes off on um, short stories classes because I hated them. Those were my own personal hell. <laughs> um, and when he talks about the reality of English studies is pretty great and talks about how like, you know, everyone knows that you're just going to be using this for like, you know, editing here and there, writing some stupid guide or, or whatnot. And, um, basically just the whole writer's depression. It's like on 444 and 445. I don't need to go on to all the passages and whatnot, but there's some really cool keen, um, graphs there that are going to show up in a much better way in on writing 10 years later, but you could see the glimpses there for sure. And he laid these out also in misery and in the dark tower as well. So I just, you know, I don't always love his characters who are writers as we saw with uh, Ben Mears and uh, certainly with uh, Mort, but um, I do love when he can write from that sort of experience. Cause it's, it's fun. It's like being in a class with King. Yeah. You know, I'm now picturing a, um, Rick and Morty parody where it's like <laughs> John and Morty. Yeah. <laughs> oh. He's like, well, I don't know, John. It seems like we should, <laughs> you shouldn't be killing cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I could see that. Yeah. That'd be just get in the car. Uh, put on the hat. <laughs> put on the hat. <laughs> How can we both wear the hat, John? <laughs> uh, somebody needs to make art for that. 
Um, that would be my Mor- word Rick processor. and Morty, <laughs> yeah. Morty and John. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love it. Uh, it looks like, and it has to look like John Turturro as well. Exactly. Oh, um, that's actually perfect. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, okay. It was so much work <laughs> to like try and get those nuggets out that I'm like so hungry and I got great news for everybody. It is a feast. Let us dig into some pound cake. After all you've been taught, everyone in bad mama, everything in the Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. Does someone want to start? I, I, Can we I, just let's just go. Let's just do rounds, right? Yeah. Like we'll just switch off. I, I've really only got one note. <laughs> oh man, I've got like six or seven. I mean, there, there's, there's stuff in there. I just this one just like just this one just kind of grossed me out. It's like. I just like Amy's being attacked by John at the or or more at the end. It's just a, his lower face was a mask of blood. The mask split open, showing Mort Rainey's crooked front teeth. And then she, in that moment, she says she could remember licking across those teeth with her oh. tongue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like you're thinking That's about what you that do when right you're now? married. <laughs> it's just when like, you're married, you can lick your husband's teeth. Ooh. Uh, that's what I always did. No, I um, um, can't wait to hear these, though. <laughs> Mel, you go for one. Uh, my first one is him at the beginning walking to his couch, the couch of the comatose writer. An economical little smile tugged his cheeks. His balls felt high and tight against the fork of his groin. Why? Why do I need to know that? Yeah. Hey, yeah. you know, uh, got to hear about those balls. <laughs> high, high and tight against the fork. That's how I like them. High and tight. This probably should have been more in misery, but I threw it in pound cake anyway because we need to pound <laughs> out a little bit. But um, on page three or six, I don't blame you for not liking it, the man in the black and the hat said. He spoke in the same patient and serene way. He spoke, more thought, like a therapist whose work is teaching small children who are retarded in some mild way. And that comes up again and again. He never uses the word retarded again, but he always – he's. Like there's five moments in the story where he's like Shooter was talking to him as though he was a slow child. Like, <laughs> ugh. yeah, not good, not good. I, I keep now envisioning just Shooter McGavin as his like the person that keeps showing up to like his <laughs> bang, bang. door. Shooter, like, just uh, um, oh my god, oh my god. Mac, Mac are you done or like? I'm done. It? I'm done, okay. baby. Fine. Well, we can carry it without you. Um, yeah, I want to hear these. Well, I'll pass the butter to you, Mel. I don't know what you're talking about, Mort said, but the day you get a story out of me will be the day the Statue of Liberty wears a diaper, pilgrim. <laughs> Shooter said meditatively, I'd leave her out of it if I could, but I'm starting to think you ain't going to leave me that option. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he's going to put a diaper on the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> oh, well, man. hey, speaking of diapers and shit, um, on page oh, 416... Yeah. Early, Sonny said. Six or so. I was just about to step into the old shittatorium for my morning <laughs> constitutional. Awful regular, I am. Sonny sounded extremely proud of, of this. Uh, <laughs> read read <laughs> the next, read the next off. one. Of <laughs> uh, course, Tom, he knows what time I rise and commence my doings. My doings. Oh. Why is he's he so gonna, obsessed he, he with loves shit. shit? He loves shit. Why? <laughs> Don't know. Does he? I mean, he. I don't like, know. Just like like, he always well, we ass- all know it. <laughs> just you know, like you wake assume- up, you eat food, you write, you know, six pages, and then you take a shit. I don't know. <laughs> he must. He must be. 
look, we all assume that he's had some sort of affair because of Void, how much he writes about it. He must have shit his pants in such a bad way as like a kid or something, and it's haunted him in the same way that you know Kiltner or Kittner has haunted. Well, it's like this, this the shit demon from Dreamcatcher. <laughs> yeah, came I think, about. I the think shit he, weasel. Uh, <laughs> it's probably annoyed him that you know a lot of writers don't write about it as a fact of life, and so he's like, I need to make up for so much of that. Well, you know what, Stephen? <laughs> Start. How about write about like the things they're eating more often? Like people never write about people eating during these uh, movies and, and events. No. <laughs> Could you imagine if like King was a travel or food writer? He'd actually be yeah. pretty good there because he's yeah, very descriptive. It would just be about like the kinds of shits yeah. he took the days after. Oh, like, like, God. well, this food rested well or this didn't. Uh, this is the kind of shit I took yesterday. My balls were high and tight as I took a bite of King. <laughs> God. Uh, um, okay. What, what else? Here, uh, here we go. Um, the phone rang and then making him jump, he snatched the hat off guiltily, a little like a man who fears he may be caught trying on his wife's underwear. Oh, I what? totally missed that one. Interesting. It's like such a specific dumb yeah. metaphor. All I can see is shoes. King sitting in his wife, in Tabby's undies, like writing this, like, <laughs> Well, hey, uh, he, might, he allegedly had him on the set of Maximum Overdrive. Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, and, and this is like, I don't know, it's a legitimate kink that's no longer stigmatized. And yeah, here that's what I'm saying. Yeah. clearly tipping his hat being like, wouldn't that be fucked up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, antiquated now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, on page uh, 428, <laughs> he ran for the bathroom unclasping his go. belt as he went. It was a near thing, but he made it. He sat on the ring in the rich odor of his own waists, his pants around his ankles, catching his breath, and the phone began to ring again. Like, uh, like, why do you? I don't know. Again, it's keep, like keep going. We've got the uh, he had that. Oh yeah, you go. Go for it. Go for it. Here we go. He sprang up like a jack released from its box, cracking one knee smartly on the side of the washstand, and ran for it, holding his pants up with one hand and mincing along like a girl in a tight skirt. He had that miserable, embarrassing "I didn't have time to wipe" feeling, and he guessed it happened to everyone. But it oh. suddenly occurred to him he had never read about it in a book, not one single book ever. Well, now we here. did. <laughs> Uh, yeah, mincing like a girl in a in a tight skirt who didn't wipe. Oh boy, uh, life is such a comedy. Um, <laughs> Jesus, um, uh, do you have another one? Oh, I'm trying. Yeah, I have a couple more. I got one more. That's it. Yeah, you go. What what frame of mind was I in that I that I wasn't noting these when I was reading? Hey, I, I was missing some within Pound Cake. That's just like, the ones just that like I, I was just so upset when I was reading it. I just didn't even want to take the note. <laughs> oh, wait, stand. I found one. Oh, go for <laughs> it. Go for great. it. He's at the post office. Um, uh, this is just a great phrase. She'd already turned away. Mm-hmm. Her sturdy country bum was presented to him as she shuffled through some packages on the floor. Her sturdy, sturdy country, country bum, bum was presented to him. Like, <laughs> not only is that like awkward passive phrasing, but sturdy, sturdy. country bum. Sturdy. I'm gonna next time um, I you know I, I talk to my girlfriend, I'll be like, you know, this what a what a sturdy bum. Sturdy. What the fuck does that mean? Sturdy country. Sturdy country bum. Maybe like, like, do you get something being on a saddle? It's, it's just a strong bum. I guess it's just a from working on the bum, farm, man. It's firm. Firm country bum. bum, country bum. <laughs> I wonder what a what a what a what a flimsy city bum um, looks like. But yeah, uh, come, easily come to fragile, Chicago. breakable <laughs> city ass. Yeah. Uh, now that was mine. So go for it. 
Um, I thought it was really ridiculous that we get to this climax and Shooter's been written everywhere. Shooter was sprayed on the window twice in what looked like dried whipped cream. And yes, there was the ready whip pressure can lying discarded under the stove. Like, that's just laughable. Yeah. It's so dumb. That that was what killed me, too, with the Shooter written everywhere. It was such a, 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 again, I'm thinking, like, this is a done trope. Because how many times have we, you know, like they finally get into the house of the person and then it's just like there's writing on the walls everywhere. And, yeah. you know, it's like in the mouth of madness or, you know, like, I don't know. It just sounds so dumb. But, yeah, the fact that and then because then you start thinking of the things like it's, it's whenever we question like Michael Myers. I was just going to say it's know. the behind the scenes. You're like, OK, so. At some point, Mort got the can and like was like strategically writing this out in whipped cream. Like it's maybe he was getting some strawberries. So like what else can lame. I use? It would been uh, it would have been more believable if he had also added like a little line like, you know, strewn across the floor were bits and pieces of angel food cake. You know, just some reasoning Hot for the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, Mort had uh, written in his own shit on the wall. <laughs> that would be more believable and honest to the book than wh- whipped cream. Like yeah, what? Yeah. You know, is Al, you know, Ali Larder from Varsity Blues there? That's yeah, hard to do um, too. Well, we'll get to the movie, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I love whipped cream though. I do too. <laughs> um, speaking of things written all over everywhere, um, King has connected a lot of his works with all of his writing <laughs> written all over everywhere. I'm really sorry. No, this oh, is great. Man. Thank you. Let's head into King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Um... I just got the one. Do you guys have more than the one? You've been teasing this one for a while. No, this it's blatant. It's obvious. No, but you is it have dairy. Oh, is this a yeah, it's just dairy? Oh, well, dairy. dairy. Is that, yeah. Is that, the, but no, the, the, no the, actual the house no is mention of no mention of the evil in dairy at all. Nothing. No, no, no. zero. But, but you, just you know what though? There is an evil that takes place there. Um, his wife stepping out on him. Oh, <laughs> well, even Pennywise then, made me do it. I. She's sleeping with Pennywise. So here's the thing. I. I was like hoping that like some of the names would link up a little bit, like the Marchman restaurant. Like that's not in it. I thought um, so too. And there wasn't like I the didn't, hotel. I didn't maybe. catch that though. Yeah. Um, the diner, the owner of the diner is Gerda Bowie, which sounds a lot like Greta Bowie. Yeah. So I don't know what, what, like, like what, what path of the beam is this? You know what I mean? Like mm. maybe it's not a, maybe dairy exists, but it doesn't exist on this beam. The beam, I had one the beam more. of Mort. <laughs> oh, I know what it is. The, the beam of the squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Looking at him from the branch. Yeah. yeah. I love how they keep that in the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. really <laughs> what, what do you got, Mel? Um, it's the, uh, well, do you, I said dairy, so you do whatever you have. I don't want to steal it. No, I just have, I have a couple of room 237s. <laughs> oh, I have on 340, he would. Hugh to the old Vietnam axiom, kill them all and let God sort yes! them out. Oh, yes. Okay. Mike mentioned that before the episode and I didn't want to take it. <laughs> and I was that, I mean, Mel, you did a huge breakdown of that quote of like past episodes. I sure did because it was in Christine, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Like yeah, it, it's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Hey, I love that line though. He's I, popping up. I don't think anyone who's ever listened to this podcast could walk away and not hear Max von <laughs> Sydow belting that out in this kill them all. insanely nineties trailer. Um, I have, hmm, I guess this would be more 237, but <laughs> I did think that like, obviously the pseudonyms with on page 314, when they're talking about that dark half, um, there's some sort of, you know, Katie there. 
Um, I also thought on page 354, when they're talking about people gawking outside their house, it was King talking about his own house in, in Maine. Oh, a bit too. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but there's one more that I think is more of a 237. So I think... Mel, did you have more? That's like no. Blatant. That's all I got. We Shall we go into room two thirty seven? Yeah. Let's open that door. What about room two thirty seven? Room two thirty seven. You're scared of room two thirty seven, ain't you? No, I ain't. Mr. Allen, what is in room two thirty seven? Page. I didn't know we made a whole section. <laughs> I know. We do. We have it's a, a subsection. subsection now. I, have to, I actually have to find the audio cue because like, oh, Max is usually the only one now, to really was, do now it. Now, let me just say, because we don't normally do this all the time, Room 237 are our extreme reaches for, for King Connections. Uh, page 225 in the uh, this uh, UK version. Uh, in the morning, he was sitting in front of his word processor. <laughs> Oh Word processor God. of the gods. This is just wasting time. Uh, keep going. Oh, this episode's a waste of time. All right, all right here we go. Page two thirty. So, uh, in talking about the the two different stories that John Shooter has written and Mort has written, the Sewing Season and the Secret Window, Secret Garden. Uh, in Mort's version, uh, the garden that uh, the body that's buried there in the garden that that grows the 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 food or whatever, you know, is in Mort's version, it's beans, which could be from the dark tower, the Zoltar and the beans, beans, the magical fruit. Oh my God. And in Shooter's version, it was corn, children of the oh corn. Oh my this fucking is just, This is God. just being like, he uses the word the a lot also, in both novels. Mel, how dare you? Mel, he also, I think it drives a Buick from a Buick 8, anyone? That one I'll accept. He likes Buicks. Uh, uh, that's had, all I've got. Uh, Mike, what, what reaches do you have? All right, I have one reach. And okay. this, is, this is, I think this has a little weight to it. On page 324 in Scribner, I told you why she said it last, that's Amy, to see if you were all right. She sounded flustered and unsure of herself again. And that usually meant she was telling the truth. When Amy lied, she always sounded as if she was telling you the world was round. I had one of my feelings. I know you don't believe in them, but I think you do know what, that I get them and that I believe in them. Don't you, Mort? The Shining. I, that's, I think that that's more of misery. I think that I think that she does have the shine. Mm. Yeah. Because they, yeah. They, they, they go into that a lot about how she has these feelings and she she's she she's constantly she's connected to mm-hmm. more and all that stuff. So I think that's a, that's a that's a legit one. I think oh, okay. we, should, we should throw that back into the. Well, King, I just don't King know Kingdom. if it's the shine. It's just something psychic. Yeah. Like oh. could be could be dead zony. I don't know. But oh. maybe it's Johnny Smith. But I think maybe Johnny she's... Smith even has a bit of the a bit of the shine. Do you think Amy's Johnny Smith's daughter? I think I yes. think Amy's his sister. When you, yeah, I think it's actually Amy Smith, married yeah. name Rainey. Uh, what if they made a, a Dead Zone sequel and it was like John John Smith had a sister? It was my goal to keep this episode if under. John, yeah, it's like now to forget it. John Smith, Johnny Smith's sister that we didn't know existed <laughs> is played by Maggie Gyllenhaal mm. in uh, what we like to call the Dead Window. The Dead Window, a cross oh, like between that. Dead Zone and uh, the Secret the Window. Dead Window with Sheriff Alan Pangborn instead of Bannerman. Yeah, um, and Secret Zone. The Secret that Zone. Secret sexual. Zone. I like that. I like that. The porn parody. The porn parody of. Oh. God, are we are we at the end of the beam? 
We're, we are. The yeah, beam of, we're the squirrel's tail, and it's time to give our overall thoughts and nose ratings. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Uh, I'll, I'll kick it off. Do it. God, I'm I'm very excited to see what this is. I'll give it a one and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses. This didn't do it for me. It's short and sweet. I read it quickly, which was nice. Short and sour. It, uh, it, yeah, short and sour. Uh, Short and shitty. Uh, High and tight. (laughs) High and tight. Short and shitty. Uh, I just, I didn't love it. if, if I don't, I mean, I can't even go into it. I mean, we've been talking about this whole time. We've been very negative about it. I, I just, I didn't love it. I thought that there was a couple of nuggets of, of, of interesting things in here, but for me, it read like a bad Bachman book and the supernatural wasn't enough, wasn't a good enough twist for me to get invested. Yeah. That's sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm at two. I'll give it two. Cause I really like the, I like the twist. I like some of the little uh, insights, as I mentioned, uh again yeah bad bachman book is great and honestly given his track record that's pretty much um you know the norm <laughs> with the exception of the long walk and yeah and thinner um this was i felt there were a lot of similarities between um you know roadwork and thinner here or just in the way that it's very pulpy um in 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 ways that could have been fun but were mostly just frustrating uh, I felt it, it, it definitely, um, suffered, uh, from thinking it's a little too clever when it's not. And again, we could, we've argued is that because we've had the hindsight of knowing all these things, we've seen the movie, obviously, um, we've had this trope, uh, for 15, 20 years popularized in pop culture. Um, even so, uh, I thought Mort was, um, not a person that either of us really wanted to spend time with for 180 pages. And, um, but I give that a half, a little bit more, a half and a little nose, a whole nose, um, than you would, uh, Mac, just because I really love that revelation at the end. And it's something that's going to like kind of haunt and stick with me. So, um, that's what you want at the end of a scary story. So, you know, it was like the inverse of Gerald's game the, uh, for me, whereas like the ending worked, but like the, the journey there was kind of like, Oh God, what a slog. So do, all right, uh, I'm gonna give it one, and it's one bright red Pennywise clown nose. Except I don't, I feel like it's not even bright. It's been like rolled in the dirt, and you found it under your sofa. Jeez, um, <laughs> I don't know. I really didn't like it. it. I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. I think it's unsuccessful almost entirely. I think the structure with the twist it does not do a graceful enough job to make that twist seem satisfying or surprising and you really got to hit at least one of those um and i think the characters are pretty uninspired um i'm interested in the conversation about plagiarism and writing and that's why it gets one um but yeah high and tight short and shitty as as max said (laughs) that's fair i think that's fair well then that is a 1.5 yeah 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 1.5 1.5 what did langoliers get Oh, Langoliers, I think my uh, they, that zero. was like a one. 
Yeah. They did not like that story, and they are very vocal about it. Yeah. Um, Let's just say this 90s is starting out as struggle. I've yet to edit the uh, miniseries portion of that episode, but I'm very interested in and uh, I'm, that'll already have come out by, at this point, but uh, I'm sure it's not very good either. Mm. <laughs> All right, so an average of 1.5. Um, I think it's earned it. And, <laughs> you know, I'm looking through my secret window where my dog is resting and the sun is setting. So I think we got to save the movie discussion for another episode. Um, any any last parting thoughts? I was really jones to talk about Johnny Depp this week, but... We're going we're gonna to do it later. <laughs> Uh, I might have to create a split personality and talk to myself about Johnny Depp. Yeah. Mm. Mort Gerber is going to be joining us next time. <laughs> Mort Mac. Mort Mac. Mort Mac. <laughs> well, everyone keep themselves occupied with their dissociated personalities. And in the meantime, long, long days, days and, and pleasant, pleasant nights. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. Consequence Podcast Network.